Welcome to episode 843 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 843 of I Am Talk of Coach John Newsman, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Big weekend. Big weekend. Big weekend for lots of reasons. John Newsom rode blim in the South Island, pretty much. Yeah. And ruined his armour here. Yes. We're going to hear about this later on. And then also we had Kona happen on Thursday and Saturday in American time, so it's pretty exciting stuff. And we're going to be digging deep into that today. But before we do, let's say thank you to our amazing sponsors. We've got our Patreon partners, Profile Design. Check them out for hydration wheels storage aero bars stems handlebars it's your last week to sign up to be in the drawer oh. to get the profile design grm 50 carbon disc brake wheels You've got to be a patron to get in that drawer so if you want to support the boys get on become a patron and be in to win some amazing wheels also a massive thank you to world triathlon store get your i am talk gear at www.com imtalk.me and click on store they'll take you through to the world triathlon store obviously you can get our gear they really nice gear really high quality really cool designs but you could also check out other gear that they got on there as well not just the stuff that's for im talk i also massive thank you to our patrons tony don't be afraid of your dreams west we got adam crazy league fox and matt lion brown charlton matt's actually coming out to new zealand uh next march we've got it does lion brown still exist Oh, I don't drink. Yeah, I'll have to have a look. If does, does, here's a question. Does cannabis draft store exist? Don't know. Don't think so. These, are, these are types of obviously local beers. For I us. have theory on beer because people think they're loyal to a beer brand. Yeah. And I think they're loyal to marketing. Yeah. <laughs> because when I was a kid in Christchurch, the, the beer of choice was cannabis draft, wasn't it? When mm. we were kids. And then DB Breweries mm-hmm. started sponsoring the Crusaders and it was DB, is it? DB, is it DB draft, yeah. DB draft, yeah. And the Canterbury draft suddenly died overnight. <laughs> I don't think you even get it anymore. So there you go. Okay, this week's show, it's all about Kona Weed. The big weekend, the big show of the year happened over the weekend. So we're going to be doing our analysis of the race. Plus, we've got some interviews. We have. So I thought we'd just get a little variety of interviews. We're going to talk to an experienced age grouper, Rob Green, who um, was over there for the third time racing. So some interesting perspectives yeah, from Rob. Yeah, some insight. Um, we have got a, a pro interview with Laura Siddle, who had a fantastic race finishing 10th. And we're going to be doing another interview, all going to plan, um, with a Kona rookie, Gareth Holbrook. Um, he was over there racing as a legacy athlete. So trying to get some different perspectives from athletes that were in Kona. Okay, so let's dig straight into it. So this year was the first year ever uh, that we had the Kona race taken over two days on Thursday and Saturday. Uh, John never thought it would happen again. It's going to happen again. You've proven wrong twice in today's show, you're going to find out. Uh, so pre-race. Yeah, let's talk about it. Pre-race, you're thinking... You're always going to get one of the big. Brief. You're always going to get one of the big favourites blowing up, and that was the case here. So, I think most people would have had their top four picks. You would have had Reef, Laura Phillip, Annie Haug in there, as whatever order you think they're going to come in, and Lucy Charles. If she races like she used to race, probably top five. So that's four of the it, top it was hard, five. It was hard to pick her because because of her year. Yeah, but you're thinking that even if she doesn't have a great run, she probably still would get a fifth. And so three out of those five, they were in the top five. So somewhat predictable for three places. 
totally unpredictable for the first place. And um, you got most of you guys will have watched it, so we're not going to replay the race, but just a little bit of you know, our interpretation of things. Um, How yeah. cool was it, Pat? It was great having the females um, racing, and, and you know, I didn't get to see a huge amount of the day. I was sort of uh, away on holiday, so I was sort of coming and going. But yeah, I, I watched it myself. I watched a good chunk of it again yesterday, even though you knew the result. I kind of wanted to see how the how it unfolded towards the end of the bike and the start of the run. But for me, the swim it was um, what was really cool is you got to see more of the females swim. Across, or we got to see more of the females race across the board, of course. Yeah. But it was really cool how the packs formed, and uh, which I, I like the look of. We see that a lot in the guys racing. Um, Lucy Charles Barkley didn't seem to have that big a lead. You know, we were mm. watching all the way through the swim, and normally she's like minutes off the front. But there was there was some stellar second group swimmers in there, so it was a bit different to, to other years. Um, and I guess at the end of, when they come out of the swim, you know, my main thing was. Daniela Reef had a pretty pretty average swim, and we've seen. So, what, what would be a good swim for her? About uh, two minutes faster. Yeah, okay. and and we've seen when, like in St George, I seem to recall she just crushed it on the swim, had a really really good swim, and so it kind of we've seen her had bad swims and still win before, but you're thinking, oh, I would have thought she'd be a bit further up, and and, and whether this was going to be an ominous sign, and whether or not she was just going to crush her on the bike, and the swim didn't really matter, as it turned out. Well, and so you know, like two minutes is not a huge amount. Mm. You know, like in big scheme of things. And, and do you think she rode any differently than what she would have normally ridden? I just think she felt rubbish on the bike yeah, by the look because, of it. Yeah, because the thing is, like, if even if she was two minutes further up the field in a swim, she would have pretty ridden the same, wouldn't she? Exactly. I think it was just feeling crap all yeah. day long. I don't think she boot more matches because she was, mm. you know, felt a little bit further behind the swim. I think she there's, the way she normally plays the game is she gets on the bike, she starts strong, and she kind of eats the field up as the, later mm. in the ride and kind and of just, blasts through. Yeah. Which, which... We didn't see, really, did we? No, we didn't. But what we did see was a lot of coverage of the women's race. And what we, one thing in particular that made quite a big difference is me, you saw the penalty tent action, yeah. and there's no way we would have seen that had there been cameras out there for the men's race. So, it, it, you know, for those placings a little bit further down the field, you saw them rolling in there. You saw Lisa Norden having to take a penalty. You saw Laura Phillip having to take a penalty. Um, so that was a really cool aspect of having them by themselves and, and so you could understand what was happening with the numbers a little bit more. So, so you're saying race rangers, should, should, you think there are too many penalties? Uh, well, no, there wasn't too many penalties, but everyone, most of them said, Oh, I don't know. It seemed a bit harsh to me, and yeah. and it's so hard for those guys to, when you're rolling into a draft zone. Yeah. For us age groupers, you know, let's say there's a couple of thousand out there. Maybe they've got five to ten motos out there. If you make a small mistake, you're probably going to get a, get away with it. For these guys, you know, those packs would have probably had a, a, a an official with them the whole way, yeah. and so you make a mistake, and you it's reasonably likely you're going to get pinged. Um, if we can get Race Ranger out there, which with you guys, oh, do you mean Race Ranger? Okay, sorry, yeah. Yep. Race Ranger is this new draft drafting detection system. Then there's there's not a lot of debate about it. You no, know? it's like, well, look, here's the stats. Here's the fact. You, it's, I'm sorry, but you you busted. Um, which does take the emotional argument out of it, doesn't it? Because there is a rule, and mm. I know it's a very blurred line at the moment. You know, because I guarantee some people who didn't get penalties technically probably could have called penalties at times. Mm. Um, but as you say, something like a race ranger. Remember we interviewed the guys from Crush It? Yeah, you know, who James Alvary. Yeah, who, who, caught, who were basically designing it. And it's that kind of, it's a device you have on your bike which shows if someone else goes in your zone. So it's mm. pretty cool. And I, I do not have any solutions for this, 
but it's just so hard for those guys in that pace line. You see in that the big yeah. packs, both the girls and the guys, when if you want to go to the front, my God, you've got to put in a long, sustained effort. That's racing. That's what it's like. And I don't have any solutions for it. But what was interesting, and I thought the commentary team did a really good job with this, Andy Potts and, and Miranda Carfrey as well, sort of explaining how, you know, there can be a few tricks out there. You can kind of bluff people into uh, into yeah. your draft zone. You know, you slow up a bit and you kind of force them to pass you and then they've got nowhere to go. And so there's a bit of gamesmanship out there that I hadn't necessarily thought about before in the past. Um, but, geez, it's tough not to not to be drafting. How long, or, or, do, you have, how long do you have to pass? Uh, it varies a bit. It's either 20 or 30 seconds. It might be different for the pros. And it's a, that's from going from 15 metres behind to 15 metres in front? No, you just got to get your wheel in front. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the but then you've go got back. another 30 to get past the next one. Another yeah, 30. Yeah. And if you've got a lineup of... When they came out of the swim, there was 20 guys or so together. Yeah. That's a long, sustained effort. Uh, but it was interesting to see the drafting penalties. Um, I think on the bike for the females, the Dee Dee Griesbauer called it perfectly. She said... Daniela Reef just looks like she's working quite hard today, and she she really did, and and she obviously was working hard, as you guys saw. She got to the front of the race, but for me, the bike of the day was Anne Haug. She is tiny. Anne Haug's fifty two kgs, one hundred and sixty three centimeters tall, probably one of the smallest females out there. Helps her with her running. She's an electric runner, but she had the second fastest bike. Spot. But it came across to a run. She, it did. You know, because, you know, like traditionally you'd see her in the low 250s mm. and she came in at 257, 56, which is basically 58. Mm. Um, you know, that extra probably, let's say, at least six minutes on the bike, mm. you know, it, it kind of cancelled itself out, didn't it? Okay, yeah, a game of trade-offs. She, she tried to ride with Daniela Reef, so hats off to her for just giving it a crack um, because I guess in her mind she's thinking, well, I can probably give Daniela Reef five minutes yeah. and still still catch her. But she's, yeah, I just think she, she rode awesomely. Um, but as Bevan said, yeah, she did pay for, pay for it on the yeah. run. Um, so coming off the bike, what were you thinking? Well, yeah, it was... Like no one's picking Sedaro. No, you, you think, I'm, I'm thinking Lucy first Charles... Time, yeah, I'm thinking Lucy Charles... Well, the first thing I'm thinking is Danielle Reese probably not going to win because she only had a tiny lead. Yeah. And I was thinking, you run good, but I, I, I kind of was thinking Anne Haug might run through and, and take it. Um. But when they started running, Lucy Charles looked all right, but I was still thinking Anne Haug's going to take this. Um, and Chelsea Sedaro just absolutely destroyed it. <laughs> How about it? Yeah, 251. No, no one would have picked it. There's no one in the world who would have said, oh, you know, she's going to win this thing. Torsten did say, um, did mention it in his, his pre-race sort of stuff as a, as a, as a dark horse. Yeah. But, and, I, and I know a few people would have had her in the top five. Yeah, yeah. But not to win it. And, and what's been really fascinating about this year, which we haven't talked about already, first year in a long time, maybe ever, where both winners are debut winners. Oh, totally. And the, and the men, oh, we'll go to get men's later on. But yeah, that was an astounding run. And the way she structured her run by walking quite a few of the aid stations yeah. was impressive. Now, she, no, she, had, she, she once she got in the front, she had the buffer, didn't she? Yeah, so it was, it was good and bad because we were coming off the bike, six women within three and a half minutes. I haven't really looked at the stats, but I don't think I can ever recall yeah. that, that happening. Uh, but the it, race was pretty much over at Polani Drive to a degree. Yeah. Chelsea Sarah still could have blown up, but it's like, well... It's race for second place now. Really was. And, and you've got to feel for Lucy Charles, four second places. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that must be a first in the sport. It's 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 like, a, you know, coming up against Tiger Woods or Lance yeah. Armstrong. Granted, Lance Armstrong hasn't won any Tour de France's, but it's like, if you're in that era, you're up against one of the, the best of all time. Uh, 
Yeah, it she's, is tough yeah, on She's her. 29 now, so she's still got plenty of time, but just you must, your heart goes out to her. Yeah. Because she was, you know, she raced a good race. And oh, she was what, great. Based on the year she's had, OMG. Mm. And, she, and she was stoked, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, like she was, you know, as much as she, I'm sure she's disappointed she hasn't got the W yet, um, she was stoked that based on her year, the race that she had. So Chelsea Starr, first time ever racing in Kona, and as you guys probably saw in the post race, she had been out there. She'd done a lot of prep. She was she was pumped and 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 amping for this race, but I don't know. She's kind of come from nowhere because she's an ex runner. So she has been. She well, she's only been racing long course pro for since 2018, and in between that, she has had a child, as a lot of you will have heard. Um, prior to that, she was you know a top class runner, so it's not like she's come from absolutely nowhere. So she has been a pro for for quite some time. I always found it odd. She always used to pop up in Torsten's ratings whenever she was going to a race, really, really highly. And I think that must have been off the back of getting fourth at the 70.3 World Champs in 2019. Oh, okay. And she always came up, and I thought, God, she hasn't really done that much yet well here's the thing that's her first Ironman win yeah she did Ironman Hamburg earlier this year got second ran a 3 hours and 20 seconds which is that's a it's a good run but it's not a 250 in Kona no uh, she did have a really good race at the Canadian PTO Canadian Open um, she finished third place there and she outran Laura uh, Phillip right at the end there I remember watching that um, but yeah, just a sense. And early on in her career, she'd had a really good stellar 70.3. So 2019, she won three 70.3s, podiumed at uh, Indian Wells and got fourth in the World Championship. So she showed a fast 70.3 pedigree earlier on, but obviously COVID kind of ruined the next couple of years. But mate, she, first Ironman win is Bimlock going to have yeah. that. She did race a bit of uh, ITU, or, sorry, World Triathlon before getting into long course. So 2017, 2018, um, she was having a go at World Cups. She did win. Interestingly, she won a World Cup in uh, uh, it's the Tulko, which I think's in Mexico. She won that in June 2018. Interestingly, that was her last race that she did uh, in terms of racing on the World Triathlon circuit. So she had a win. She had a few um, sort of podium places, a few top tens. Did uh, I don't think she did any of the top tier WTS races. But then uh, yeah, came across to long course and has done really, really well. Had a maternity break in there f- to obviously have her baby and during the COVID times, so it didn't race in 2020, came back, did okay in 2021, got a sixth place overall at Collins Cup, sixth at Ironman Boulder. And then this year, it's just um, yeah, a bunch of podiums and then wins the big Kona. How awesome. How, like Again, no one picked it. No. You know, like, and, and how cool for this. Now, the thing I want to know is how much exposure did she get in America? Like, mm. did she get on news channels? You know, like, because I remember watching that documentary. I watched a documentary on Netflix recently, and they were talking about a guy who basically was kind of Andy Roddick's understudy, mm-hmm. but he ended up kind of overtaking him, and, but never really made, he never won a Grand Slam. Mm. But he, I think he did really well in one US Open, and it was just like, you get one American, and mm. the exposure they're going to get is huge. Now, admittedly, tennis is way bigger than Ironman. Mm. But I'm kind of curious to see, you know, it's the first time in how long since we've had a US? 1995. And that was probably six, a new Fraser, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and Tim, Do- um, Tim DeBoom won mm-hmm. it in early 2000s. So it's really been 20 years since we've seen a US winner. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious for our US listeners, what kind of exposure has she got? Has it just been a triathlon thing or has it got further into the to the you know mainstream media? I'm sure it probably would have got a... M- no, I'm not sure. Uh, I imagine 
if, 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 so. if, if it's ever going to get any coverage, that's yeah. that's going to be it. You've got enough storylines there. You've got a mother. You've got a first time racing Kona on debut yeah. out of nowhere. So there's enough storylines. So if if that doesn't make it, it's never going to make it. No, I don't think. No, unless you get like a Mark Allen, like a you know, like a, a a legend of the sport who does it for a long time. Yeah, and she dominated. You know, that's a big victory uh, yeah. that she had there. It was not. It was not close whatsoever like the men's race. Okay, so who's faster and who's slower than expected in the females' race? Yeah, well, also, uh, just quickly on DNFs, I just thought, oh, this seemed, normally I'm, I'm seeing the praise of the females in terms of their DNF rate being better than the boys. Yeah. Um, but this time, not the case. There was 11 DNFs out of uh, 43, which is a bit more than usual. Usually around so 2019, there was 7 out of 42, uh, and same in 2018, 7 out of 39. So a few more DNFs this year. One of those um, that I thought was going to do quite well coming off the bike was uh, Jocelyn McCauley she looked really good and strong and I had Sarah True in my picks and she DNF'd on the bike so mm. it did not bode well for my uh, picks on OBS try uh, so so going to thought, um, talk, try rating Thorson's always got kind of if they did better than or so Chelsea did better than by 29 minutes wow <laughs> even but it was fast racing wasn't it Lucy did was it the it wasn't the record was it in the females race I don't didn't see it mentioned we'll no have a look I don't think it was second. I think it was about th- a little bit behind uh, Lucy Charles went 17 minutes faster than expected. Um, her swim was slower than expected. Anne Haag uh, went 7 minutes faster than expected. Laura Phillip was kind of on par. Uh, Lisa Norton was faster. Uh, Fianella Langridge, she was about 11 minutes faster. Sarah Crowley was about 11 minutes faster. Daniela Reef was 6 minutes slower. Anyone of note? Oh, um, Sky Monch was about on par. Laura Siddell was about 13 minutes faster than expected. Yes. Anyway, so, who else? Who's, who's the disappointment other than obviously Reef? Who else would be? Yeah. Um, I think those one those DNFs that I mentioned in terms of uh, Dan- Daniela Blamer was uh, was right up there off the bike as well. So was Sarah Svens. So Heather Jackson. I'm, be a bit disappointed. Yeah, she hasn't shown a lot of. No, not in a while, I wasn't no. really expecting much from her. So yeah, I think those big ones for me was um, yeah Sarah True, Daniela Blamer, Jocelyn McCauley, and Sarah Svens all all DNFing. Um, good to see Rebecca Clark finishing seventeenth place. Our Kiwi. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was a bloody good race. Sarah Crowley was um, has sort of put herself back on the map. She sort of struggled for a while and did really well. And Lisa Norden, you know, both fourth and fifth place. Both got uh, drafting penalties. You look at the, the the numbers; it probably wouldn't have moved them up a place. But then it's a different dynamic. You know, Laura Phillip then would have been riding with the group um, all the way through, and so maybe it might have affected her race quite a bit. Um, yeah, it was just just in general, really cool to see a woman, the women's race. Okay, so then we had a, a, a day of rest. Yeah, <laughs> a day to recover, and then it could start for our spectators. Yeah. And then Saturday morning or Sunday New, New Zealand time, uh, we wake up and the men's race begins. And I didn't really kick in until I I, start, I woke up, and I was kind of about. 30 minutes into the ride. So I missed the swim. So what happened to the swim? Um, well, yeah, it was pretty worrying. And Jan Fredino pointed that out, uh, you know, after the swim when he was doing some, a stint in commentary. Uh, it was he pretty was great, worrying. Wasn't he? he was really good. Yeah. It was pretty worrying. There was a, just, a, as you guys saw, a gigantic pack coming out. I think, oh, this is just going to be a yeah. real big procession. Um, and, and I kind of thought something like this might have happened because we haven't got, A, we haven't got any real big, Fast swimmers at the, like moment, at the moment, like Potts or, yeah. or, or possibly Brownlee, even Fredino to really drag things out. And But also, 
the depth is really good. So if you don't get that initial blast off the line and really stringing things out, um, the, the guys are generally good enough to, to sort of hang in there. And we saw that with Blumenfeld and Eden both having really strong swims um, to come out with that lead group. So, so basically it was just massive packs, was it? Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a couple of really big packs and, and um, a few people in no man's land. But yeah, I was thinking, oh, this isn't going to be good. But at this stage... Like Sanders had a terrible race. Was he out of like? Was there anyone you like game over already? Uh, Sanders was was no. I think he came out with the people he would normally come out with. But the big thing then, he just went backwards straight away. From from the look of it, he just couldn't even keep up whatsoever. So, which is a shame because he was another one of my picks that did really badly. And yeah. I thought this yeah. is Sanders' year. He's going to do it. He just had an odd day, didn't he? Like if we look at it, where did he get like twenty something? Didn't oh, he? Uh, did he, I don't even think he got that high. Did he? No, let's have a look. He here. got thirty fourth. Thirty fourth. So, he, he so swam fifty two. Biked for 16, which on that day is not great. Yeah. You know, and he's a strong cyclist and he ran through 317, but maybe maybe he knew nothing was happening. Yeah. So um, he was 41st out of the swim. Yeah. Uh, so not not great. Um, but yeah, so I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a bit of a drag. But then it just seemed to split up way earlier than usual on the bike. Um, you know, we, we always expect you have those few guys just smashing off the front and Max Newman was smashing it early. Um, but yeah, it just seemed to split up a lot more than than what it normally did quite a bit earlier so yeah. what do you think it happened uh, i don't know it's really weird it's not like it was windy um if anything it sounds like it was perfect conditions for the pros yeah so on just the bike. i don't know maybe that well, clearly they were going fast but even then you sort of that always happens and you kind of just expect this big long pace line then yeah. you think it's going to start breaking up on the way to harvey and it does and then it breaks up a bit more and then you get your little mini groups but yeah it just seemed to splinter there was still definitely the, some some decent sized groups but those front guys kind of got away and um and that was the race up the road uh, again the tent penalty tent was in play a lot the big probably the big casualty there was uh Ditlev and that would have definitely had a big impact on on his race yeah um he served his penalty though because he was right, right at the front th- it was front three wasn't he really? yeah, yeah. He, so he served his penalty right at the end you could in some way say that's not such a bad thing you're having a rest before tramp before going into transition so you can choose when you take your penalty can you you don't have to do the next stop no you've got to take the next one so oh, he okay. must have got it it's close to the end somewhere on the queen k maybe okay. something like that um so yeah, it was uh, bike was was interesting. I've just so, so coming off the bike. Well, Sam Layla. So it, the cool thing with this is we can go into Strava and, and a number of the guys post their sort of files up there, which is great. So um, I've just got Sam Laylow's Sam Laylow's bike file. Here we go. Let's have a look on Strava. Hold on. Uh, just the most. I've got to say. His performance was one of the best performances I've ever seen in Kona. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was gutsy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that. It's from somebody on debut, and Luke Van Leerd, he won on debut as well. But he didn't. He was just awesome. I'm just trying to get his. Well, what's what's really right. interesting about it is he's, he's titled as he's titled as Strava file for the bike ride, waiting for waiting for Worthy. Uh, oh, nice. So he broke the course record. And Worthy didn't break it. And Worthy was talking a big game. He did break it, but he did, he broke his own record, but, but yeah. not by not by as much. So average power for Sam Laidlaw, three hundred and seventeen watts, um, and he's not a gigantic sort of dude. He's, he's a reasonable height, but three hundred and seventeen. Again, put it in perspective. For me, I can ride three hundred and seventeen. Is uh, it's pretty much uh, one hour FTP, uh, yep. uh, and that's absolute max effort. Yeah. Uh, absolutely smoking it. Average speed was where is that gone? 
It's going to be moving time about 44. 4.02. Average speed 44.4. Max speed 72.5. 44, that's your average speed. That's mental. Now, as you're going to hear later on, it sounds like conditions were great. We hear from Rob Green. He said the wind was really favourable for those guys. They got a bit of bonus tailwind, and Bas- that's what basically no wind on the way out and tailwind on the way home. Yeah, you're still going to do. You're still going oh, to ride the thing, it. don't you? And you're still out riding Cam Worth, who's one of the best cyclists we've ever seen in our sport. But what's more phenomenal is you never see a guy like that then get off the bike and run a two forty four. Mm. You know that run. How about that? And, well, he, and there was no there was no history where you go and Sam Lolo can run a low two or mid two forties. Most people would have been thinking. Probably going to blow up, and most of the athletes said that as well. Going, he's probably going to blow up. Even if he doesn't blow up, he might be able to run somewhere in the two fifties if yeah. it was a really, really good day. Um, but not two forty four. Well, Ironman UK last year, he did a three hundred three. Uh, Ironman, he did a two fifty five in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So he'd done a, an under a three, but it's a two fifty five. There's an eleven minute difference. Yeah. in the heat and Kona after a bike ride like that. Yeah. So I think everyone has just got. It pretty much says that's the performance of the day on the guys' race, which is harsh to say because Gustav Eden was just impressive. Oh. But you kind of expected, kind of expected this. Um, Sam Lalo, that was like just and out he's of young, nowhere. isn't he? How old is he? Like 20, 23. Wow. So I'll call bullshit on anybody that thought Lalo was going to hang on so deep into that run. No, no, no <laughs> there's no way. You, you're thinking even like that was a problem, like. I was halfway through the bike, wasn't it? There's four of them. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, the game over. It's basically, it's Blumenfeld or Blumen, um, yeah. South Eden. Like, yeah. you know, who wasn't not thinking that? Yeah. For, at least for the top two. So for him to ride away like that and just look awesome, look smooth. And not and, blow up. And he's not, he's a triathlete. Like, he's not like he's an ex-cyclist or anything like that. He, this That was an ultimate triathlon performance. He was the first sequel out of the swim, bike course record. And ran an amazing run split. So, did you see his interview? Uh, yeah, I've seen some interviews. Oh, with him. No, but the one post race. Yeah. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, like what it meant to him. Yeah, it was just like the anticipation. It was just like, you know, he said, "From four, four years old, I wanted to be here," mm. and he just broke down. And oh, it was just beautiful. You know, like it was just that raw emotion of fatigue, but also achievement. It was pretty special. So the one other thing from the bike, I picked Patrick Langer for the win, as you guys will have heard. Well, you've really, you've nailed it this year, haven't you? I've nailed it. And I thought, he's just got to, he's got to prove me wrong one one time. And Do you he, think he got a penalty? Well, I think he must have done. But I didn't hear about it when I was watching the coverage, and I didn't watch all of it. Uh, he dropped 19 spots um, up in between one timing point and the 111 k. So he either got a puncher or he got a penalty. But to his credit, he fought back and he did get 10th place and did put in a very respectable run split, but he didn't do the one and that screwed my my rate at my um, predictions. So, yeah, so laid low, unbelievable. Now, one thing, I again, he posted his run file. He didn't really slow down. You know, Just consistent. He was pretty consistent. So his average pace on the run, he ran a 2.44. Um, average pace is 3 minutes 50. Is this laid low or is this Bloomfield? This is laid low. Okay. Average pace is 3.53. And, you know, it gives him his splits all the way through. And whilst he did look like he was struggling coming back into town, he wasn't really slowing down. Um, so if I look at his 35th K, it was 3.39, 3.55, He did a 4.01, but that was with a climb. 3.46, 3.46, 3.25, 3.36. Um, so he didn't really slow down, uh-huh. which is why Blumenfeld didn't catch him. <laughs> which, which again, who was picking that? Like even You're just thinking, well, eventually he's going to fade off. Mm. You know, like you're just thinking, well, eventually the boys are going to catch him. And, and 
it just didn't happen. Okay, so let's 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 go deeper into it. Let's look at um what Gustav Gustav and, and the Blumenfeld race. So Gustav Eden. So getting I, off the bike, you're thinking it's the two horse race. Yeah, I'm thinking it's Eden because I just feel that he's a bit stronger on the bike and that's going to crumb across the run. Okay. And so whilst in a straight 10k running race, you'd put your money on Blumenfeld um, every day of the week over 42 k's of a hard bike ride. He was this tested, but. Yeah. He was less tested in the full distance, so there was a bit of a mystery around how would he mm. handle the heat and the distance. But I, I thought Eden, Eden for first, Blumenfeld for second, and then probably Max Newman for, for third, or anything could happen for third place. Um, so Gustav Eden, like we said before, for Laidlow, I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that. That was just unbelievable. What about the speed? 741 or 740 or something? Yeah. but from, from ridiculous. Eden's point of view, I don't think we've ever seen a surge made like he made coming out of the coming out of the energy lab. So again, look at Blumenfeld's pace. I looked at his Strava file. Eden's doesn't hasn't got it up on Strava yet. Blumenfeld didn't slow down that much going back into town either. He looked like he was suffering yep. and they did have a tailwind, so maybe he relatively slowed down slightly, but you got a tailwind, you got a you've got yeah, overheating a bit more as well. So but he didn't really slow down. His case splits were pretty even. It was just that speed up from Eden, like I've never seen. Like he went from running, I think he said he was running three twenties there for a while. Like, how do you do that a on the Queen K um, when you're that deep into a race? So that was, and and you saw them running along early on. You're thinking, oh, they look pretty good, but when he sped up, he just looked like a million bucks. And this is at K thirty ish on the 320s. run, three twenties. So. That was something that we've never really seen before. When we think about the Mark versus Dave, you know, that was more who's slowing down the least yeah, sort of who, thing. Like there crack. was an acceleration, but it was only for a couple of hundred meters and yeah. then it was all over. And similarly with Maka versus Raylert, same sort of thing. It was like a little speed up, the other person completely cracks and it's yeah. all over. Eden, he just gassed it and uh Amazing, 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 you know, because they were shoulder to shoulder pretty much all day. Mm. And and one thing that the, the commentators talked a lot is that they very much were controlled. And it mm. seemed like they were working together because they were doing that kind of... You know, Swapping around. Yeah, you know, it seems like they were kind of working together. And maybe there was agreement, maybe it was subconscious that we're, we're going to sit on this race and there's a point where we kind of have the race. Um, because they were very measured and controlled with their, their, their feedback on their devices, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, so... Uh, so, yeah, it was impressive. Whilst he did crush it, there was only four minutes covering the top four. Which and also, what a complete performance. Yeah. 48 swim, one eleven bike, you know, which wasn't quite as fast as the top end, but still pretty blim good. And then the 230, that's a total triathlete performance, it is. isn't it? But four minutes covering the top four, don't know if we've really ever seen that much before. No. Sam Laidlow's run time, again, all the run, there's lots of fast run times. Most years, or no, a lot of years... That would win you the race without a six-minute lead. Yeah. yeah, I looked back at Frodo's some of Frodo's times yesterday, and like that was sort of Frodo's run times. Yeah. Granted, he wasn't under pressure or anything like yeah. that at the time, but that's um, mental. So he was on Torsten's rating. He was thirty-four minutes quicker than expected. Wow. Gustav was five minutes twenty quicker. Blumenfeld was seven forty. Max Newman was twenty-one minutes. Max Newman, let's talk about that because that was a great performance. It was. Um, he's shown. And he a, didn't give up, did he? Has shown a lot in Australia. Not a lot out of outside yeah. of Australia, so um, yeah, massive breakthrough for him. That was huge. He was a bit of a classic Aussie in the press conference afterwards. Was know, he just a bit of a just bit feel like he'd be going down to the pub sort of guy? Yeah, nice, love it. Um, so you know that was very impressive. So only four minutes covering the top four. Then there was a ten minute gap back to Joe Skipper. And then it got really tight again, and there was only uh, 
how many minutes? Only well, three minutes, one three, minute, four, four minutes covering fifth through tenth. So it was kind of that front cluster. Then it's race over, ten minute gap, and then Joe Skipper was um, the best of the rest. And Keenley, how about that for a race? What a way to go out! Oh, you know, awesome. I would, like I love Joe Skipper, and I'm glad he got the fifth. But I would love to see Keenley get the fifth. Yeah, you know, like he only he only got him by about a minute or so in the end. But um, but what a performance! You know, he's, he's he's had a rough couple of years. COVID really hurt his career a little bit, I think, mm. later in his career. Um, he's had injuries. You know, what a way to go out. Totally. He was stoked, and I think everyone was stoked for him. A yeah. um, few, few of the DNFs, Braden Curry from New Zealand, he got sick. So do we sick. not have him there? Yeah, he oh, was sick, sick prior during oh, the week, okay. so that was a real crapper. Daniel Beckengard, another favourite. He was out. Don't know what happened there. He finished the bike ride, but then it was all over Rover, uh, as did Kyle Smith. He sounded like he really struggled on the, the back part of the bike when he was sort of in contention. And so then, Sanders was probably the biggest disappointment. Who else in the men's? Well, a few people would have picked Colin Chartier after his uh, awesome performance at the PTO short course race so yep. was like, uh, you might might transition you could you could be a bit of a surprise those would be the main ones um a couple of other node performances tim, tim o'donnell yeah. uh, finished in 13th place so it was a really good performance cameron worth is he looks good when he's running now and he's one of those guys started the sport five years too late yeah uh, and covid screwed him because i think he could possibly win this race um we need a tough day, but we're not seeing the tough day, are we? No, we don't see them anymore. When was last? Well, I think it was when I did it. Two thousand and four was the last time we had a really tough day. Yeah, and um, what's the commentator's name? Um, Welch. No, Girl can't, guy. can't remember the guy. Um, Leado. Matt. No, not Matt Leado. The one we're not mate, we're not um, talking about. He uh, he was sort of commenting, you know, just the timing. Maybe it used to be a bit later in October. Yeah. And, but yeah. The full moon, you're saying, yeah, the full moon makes the winds come up. But it's been a long time since we've had a tough year in Kona. So, which is a bugger. Yeah. Because it'd be cool to see a, you know, just a brutal day. Because it's brutal enough as it is. Yeah. But it it would just, you know, like, when, when, um, oh, who was the German who went on the bike? Um, he was sick you know, he got a bit sick um, he's won it twice didn't he um, yeah Thomas Sadler yeah. you know that, that year I think it was your I was here yeah it was and he got like a 12 minute lead on the bike didn't he mm. just mm. brutal conditions mm. you know so uh, you know when was the last time a, a pure cyclist won it well Sam Laidlow's I wouldn't call him a pure cyclist but he nearly won it and he got a 6 minute lead in calm conditions yeah it's crazy because uh, he's 23 are we seeing the next you know like oh all these guys are next generation um, but Hopefully it's just not a one and done sort of thing. Like not not one and done, but you know we've seen athletes that have that one performance and then they kind of don't repeat it again. That was just like next level and not something we've seen. And the same applies to Chelsea Sodaro. Yeah, um, is hopefully they can capture that. The one thing for Chelsea Sodaro is she's a mum. She's got that distraction to keep her level <laughs> leveled. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas um, Sam Laidlow was. Uh, Quite unpopular with a lot of people after Collins Cup, but now I think everyone just thinks he's, he's got some the, credibility now, isn't he? You know, he, you he talked the big game, got him talked talk the big game, and he's there's, on the big there's game. no coming back immediately. Your your answer is, oh, I got second in Kona, yeah, nearly won it, and one of the greatest performances of all time. Exactly. You know, technically the second greatest performance of all time. So, uh, okay, let's talk about the coverage. IronmanNow.com didn't know about this until race day. They kept that under. I didn't see about it. Maybe they told other people. but I So it hadn't been used for any other races? Not, no, not that I'd seen. So if you, if you didn't go on to ironmannow.com, oh, which is not the Ironman Now on Facebook, it's .com, you had to register. Hopefully they don't make us pay for it later on. But that you know was what? gold. I paid 10 bucks for it. 
for having those four, ca- four yeah, cameras. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, because yeah. A, you had the leaderboard at all times. Mm-hmm. You could watch one if you want to, or you could just have all four going all the time. So you had the chat on the side. I didn't have the people down the bit bottom. I no, I turned that straight off. away. It was a bit annoying. <laughs> um, it was a bit pointless. Uh, but but it was exactly what you wanted, wasn't it? Yeah. No, I could. You, I mean, I can't ask for more, but it's like. Well, what would pe- you ask pe- for? Okay, so the main thing I'd ask for is well, not so much on the coverage, but. Surely we've got to be able to get GPS trackers at least on the pros. Like they do it in cycling and things like that, and you just have it on at least on the bike where it's attached to their bike. Yeah. Um. They did try it way back in 2014. We had them. There's got to be something where we can get fairly live tracking because the, the tracking they do at the moment is you ride over a timing mat and that's yeah. the update, and it yeah. could be 30, 40 days. And the days. problem with that was when the runners were so far ahead. Because the one thing about the coverage, I was a bit disappointed, and then not being too hard on them, is you kind of know what's happening past fourth, mm. you know, and it would look like with Joe and Keenley, and as you said, like from four or fifth through to like 10th, there was only like five minute gap. Mm. Was, that would have been fascinating to have an idea of that. Now I get it, they have to have most of the coverage at the front of the race. Mm. And the front of the race was really interesting, but the, the go through a timing mat and you couldn't actually see what was happening further down the field. Mm. So if you'd had a GPS tracker, you could kind of go and see what was happening. Yeah. You know, that so I think... Cool. Um, and these are improvements, not really criticisms. No. Having a GPS tracker. And then what I'd really like to do, like Matt Liedo is this kind of the guy on the ground. He's out in the mountain, out on the I bike. loved it when they got him in the ice cream. And the, and the, I and didn't the, see that part. And so at the turnaround, he'd obviously got too hot and he's in the car having an ice cream. And they have cameras on him. He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was nice. cold. Um, what would be kind of cool is if... Just give me a second. Oh, an email's come up. Is it more important, is it? Well, No. I, was, I just thought we might do another interview. Um, what would be cool is a bit like what they do in motorsport. The race is still on, but they'll cross to a guy who'll do the statistical analysis. And yep. I was talking to a guy that I coached about this yesterday. He, you know, he watched Bathurst at the weekend, which is a big race, and there's Formula One. Those the, the number of viewers on that is like astronomical yeah. compared to this. Well, but I, I think at most I saw about two or three hundred thousand viewers. Really, that's quite a lot. Yeah, but when you think of yeah, how many people would watch an All Blacks game in New Zealand? Yeah, totally. You but I, th- I thought. A relatively easy thing to do, you cross back to somebody who's in a studio at the King Cam or whatever, and, and they go, right, this is what, this, we're at 90Ks here, these are the changes. Like, we could all see it, but to really spell out going, hey, the big mover here is, Chel- uh, or Laura Phillip has gone from 15th place up to 5th place, and just spell it out. It'll kill a bit of time as well. Someone having like a toss in there, explaining what's happening throughout the race, I think would be, would be really cool. Um, all that being said, the coverage with those four cameras made a gigantic difference. Yeah, it really um, did. And so hopefully, and it just gave you the choice. If you, like, you could also just choose which one you wanted to watch. And, and when you could see them missing a moment on the main broadcast feed, yeah. a couple of times you saw it, but down below, and you're going, that moment where Blumenfeld got away from Eden, like they didn't have that on the main broadcast feed. If you were watching it on Facebook, you would have missed it. Yeah. But you could see it down there and choose your different views. So that was a game changer. It was Yeah, uh, and awesome. you know what? They do a great job on like, commentators. You know, it's a long Good. day yeah. and two days of doing it. I thought Marinda Carfrey had, was fantastic in the swim. Um, she picked out all the swimmers. She was great. Um, I liked having Andy Potts in there. He added um, quite a different element to it as well. Fredino so, was in, you know, yeah. quite involved. You know, so, yeah. Like, going to get ads and all that sort of stuff oh, talking no, about products 
But, it's, but, you but know when what? you've got the four cameras there, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. You just yeah. go and watch that. And so they should, you know, they've got to pay for it. Yeah. You know, it's a pretty expensive thing to put on. So well done, I mean, on that front. Uh, just some other stuff. Australian para-triathlete Lauren Parker has set a new woman's hand cycle world best time on her way to completing the Ironman in Hawaii. So awesome work by her. We've got um, Chris, how do you say that last name? Nickett? Nickett. Uh, became the first person with Down syndrome to finish the Ironman World Championships. It also happens that Chris's 23rd birthday on race day uh, as well, so that's pretty cool. Nice work, 16.31 he did. Uh, then Sam Holness from Great Britain uh, did a 13.05, became the first known person with autism to complete the Ironman World Champs. Well, on Saturday, the top 10 men all finished sub-8, showing the growth and the competitiveness in long-distance triathlon in a very short period. Because remember we were talking about, it wasn't that long ago, when are they going to sub-8? It was only a few eight? years ago that it was not sub-8. Yeah, you know? I think Langer, was Langer the first one to Maybe, sub-8? Yeah, it was probably about that. And then, yeah. and then from there... Like now we're 740. Mm, mental. Conditions were fantastic. Yeah. Technology's moved on. But hey, that's still bloody it's still fast. freakish. Ch- uh, Sherry Jet Greenfeld was a uh, 78-year-old, was the second oldest female to complete. And then on the men's side, we had the um, Warren, Warren Hill. Hill from New Zealand was the oldest male to complete. He 82. Was 82, and he did 16-16 um, to finish second in the 80-84 to age group. Now, John, we're doing the top 10 results. I don't no, know I'll do that next week, actually. Okay, that's a good idea. Uh, just the stats overall in the female entries, we had 1,325 entries at 1202 Two finished, uh, if you missed the cutoff, and on the men's we had seven. Two, oh, so we oh, but they had the men's and the females on the Thursday, didn't they? Yeah. So the men's they had twelve hundred and sixty-seven on the Saturday, Thursday. Oh, on the Thursday. Okay, yeah. so on on Thursday we had basically two and a half thousand, and on Saturday we had two thousand six hundred. And that was entries. That wasn't necessarily the number of people that turned up or DNFs or anything like that. That was so. Yeah, you basically had two thousand six hundred both days. So with the, do you think we'll see way more females next year with? We we're a lot more will qualify um, mm. for sure because it looks like it's they're, they're shooting for trying to make it fifty fifty because there's uh, a lot of extra slots all over the place. So, so with great. that in mind, because they can't get more than basically what we're thinking is they can get what five thousand competitors over two days. Mm. So let's say they do get over five hundred athletes. Does it come from the men? Yeah, I would imagine so. And then I I'm guessing. This year was just different because you had so many yeah, COVID rollovers and, and things like they that. And of those. Yeah. So yeah, I don't see how they can have any more than that. We did get a comment from Andrew, the mystery man at Weston. He's got uh, a question for you. Why are there more men than women age groupers at Kona? Aren't the slops allocation at every qualifying race equal? i.e. if there are 80 slots in the race, 40 are for men and 40 are for female. And so for a lot of you guys, you'll know the answer to that. But if, if, if we've got listeners who don't necessarily do Ironmans or don't really go to the qualifying thing, no, it's definitely not proportional. It's proportional to the number of people yeah, in the race. And, and your age group. Uh, so it's uh, at a guess, I'm going to say it's probably two-thirds men, one-third women, roughly. Yeah. Um, now, though, it looks like it's going to be much closer to 50-50, um, which is great. And that's going to elevate the women's side of the sport if they keep going with the two-day format. Okay, other news. So that's pretty much it for Kona for now. But we'll, well, we'll be getting some interviews soon. But uh, first ever Global Triathlon Awards will be taking place on Saturday, the 21st of January 2023 in Nice, Paris. Supported by all the big event organisers in the triathlon community, a celebration to bring our passionate industry together and to celebrate those within it. This international award ceremony has been created to fill the void of recognition within the sport on a global stage. For this inaugural event, we are proud that uh, the Global Triathlon Awards has partnered with the World Triathlon, Triathlon's world governing body, Triathlon, World Triathlon, uh, the premier short course swim, bike, run series, Super League Triathlon, uh, the athlete-owned professional PTO, and, oh, so Ironman aren't a part of it. 
Well, hopefully they'll. If this is an event type thing, they'll still. So Xterra and the bike specialist. So basically everyone except Xterra, uh, except Iron Man. So global awards. Hopefully they still include Iron Man in the awards, even though Iron Man maybe not necessarily be a part. Come of on, it. Iron Man. Yeah. Join the party. Yeah. Well, hope, so hopefully I, we just. I don't know enough about it, but everyone else is there. Yeah. So it'll be. Because you, cool you, you always get the best Iron Man in the world. It's like, well, we just want the best triathlon, best, best yeah, everything. So hopefully Iron Man's still included and there's some sort of voting process and we can all get out there and vote. Okay, coming up this weekend? Nothing coming up this weekend. Uh, next, we wait until the 70.3 World Champs, which is on the 28th, 29th of October. It'll be interesting. You know, that's only, what, three weeks away? Um, be interesting to see who rocks up. At the press conference post-race, you know, they were asking the pros who was going, and I know Joe Skipper said, he, well, I haven't qualified. Um, San Laidlow said, I haven't qualified. Sebastian Kenley said, he's not going. Uh, to the, to and okay. who was there? There was somebody else... Uh, yeah, and Max Newman said he's not going. I think the Norwegians said they were going, um, but they're also doing world triathlon stuff. So it'll be, yeah, a lot. More, it'll be more like a PTO type race with the, those sort of athletes that didn't go to Kona. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of field it draws in. October for the 70.3 champs. Mm, Short course update. Um, They had a race on at the weekend at Caligari, which is a new venue for the World Triathlon Series. They've had World Cups there before. Uh, Alex Yees got himself back in the winner's circle um, after, you know, um, missing to a trailing Hayden Wilde in the series. So he's got, kind of had to win this race and then he'll have to beat Hayden Wilde as well in the next one as well, I think, to win. Jonathan Brownlee did a fantastic breakaway on the bike um, to finish in second place and still did really really well what's his career um, he's kind of just he's still really good but he's not beating Alex Yee or Hayden Wilde anytime soon so no. it's kind of so does he go long he, well he's you tried to go halves and he's been absolutely rubbish mm. so I think he's kind of destined just to carry on doing short course I guess mm. uh, I haven't watched any of the, the females coverage but Georgia Taylor Brown took it out and I'm pretty sure they got a bit of a break on the bike as well so I will check that out um, yeah next uh, next up for these guys they are going to be heading off to Bermuda in a month's time and then finish off the season in Abu Dhabi for the finale and the Norwegians said they're going to be there okay uh, this week's discussion is dark horse racing. Uh, basically, we kind of said who's going to pick the dark horses for Kona. Oh no, was this to dark this was, horse? This was a few weeks ago. We oh. Dark horse to get in the sort of the top five. Let's have anyone got them. Max Newman. Ian Scott got Max Newman. Ah, oh, there you go, Ian. You yeah. got in the top five. Nice uh, work. Something on uh, Lucy Charles Barkley. If she shows up, there was Ian Banks. Nice work, Ian. Uh, Cartier, no. Uh, John Muir, no. Skipper on his form. Yep, that's Skipper got in the top five. That's well done. Uh, we're going to pull up more of these. Most recent. Um, Kat Matthews and Magnus Stitley. Lee Cartmel, you didn't do your homework. She wasn't even racing. But you may have you may have put that up before she had her accident. Um, no, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, this week's discussion, John, because you've yep. got no one there. <laughs> I didn't have one. So over Who's going to win 2023 Ironman World Championships? Well, when you and to put a bit of context around that. By female and male. Blumenfeld and Eden basically said they're pretty sure they're not going to be there. Because Olympics? Blumenfeld was, uh, might, because he didn't win. But Gustav Eden said, yeah, he's focusing on uh, the short course and trying to get to the Olympics and try to win the gold medal. Which, full you don't respect think to You it, don't think he's up to it, no, The only way he's winning is getting a breakaway on the bike. And I can't see that happening. If he was an awesome swimmer and he had that swim-bike combo, yeah. maybe. But he's not. And I don't think he's going to ride away from Hayden Wild and people like that. It's going to take quite, he'd need quite a bit of luck. Quite a bit of luck. So you think it's a bad career move? 
Because you want to Financially, get Olympics, you? I mean, you, you only get one shot. He's going to have more shots at doing Hawaii. So it's like, yeah, I kind of get it. What are we now, 2022? Two years. Uh, Mid-20s, okay. I think. So he's got two years to give it a crack. But there's no way he's outrunning those guys. So he's going to need a bit of luck, going to need to get away on the bike. But his swim's quite susceptible as well. And so he's not even like, he only just makes the main pack. What about Blumenfeld? Blumenfeld. Um, so he's 26. So he's got plenty of years in front of him. Yeah. Blumenfeld's got a, a, a good chance. But I kind of think that Ye and um, Wild have, have stepped up their running a bit more. I don't know. Blumenfeld's definitely got a, got a chance. Yeah. But Gustav yeah. Eden. He's an Olympic champion. He's going. Exactly. You know, like, but yeah, Blumenfeld. Interesting. Interesting mm. move. So that makes it next year's. Because I would have thought, is Fredino's last chance gone? Mm. You know, but if they don't turn up next year, it actually mm. makes it a really interesting race, doesn't it? It does. You've got Fredino coming back. What's okay, he going to so do? That question in the males race is assuming that they aren't there. Well, they're not going to be there. That's, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. But yeah. Like, so if you, when you're answering it, don't put the yeah. Bloomfield. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who are the, who's going to win the Ironman World Championships, both male and female? Top three. Yeah. Twenty twenty three. Can Danielle Arif come back? How old she now? She's still young enough, isn't she? Still young enough. Yeah, she's still fast enough. We saw that in. Uh, yeah, true. Yeah, and she won St George earlier this year. So look, how old Reef? Reef is Daniela Reef. I'll race you to it. Uh, I'll race you to it. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> you so said race. I was like, that's race. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this week's discussion, who is... Oh, no, I got rid of the show notes. Uh, we've got interviews, John. We have. First up, we've got Rob Green. He, uh, you're going to hear all about Rob, a fantastic guy, and gives us some really good insight. And here he is right now. Okay, team, um, as you guys heard earlier in the show, we want to get a little little spectrum of people who have either been to Kona before um, or haven't been to Kona before and a bit of pro perspective as well. So first up, we've got Rob Green. He's a uh, spine tingler. Been on the spine show. Spine Been on the <laughs> show once before. I can't remember exactly when that was, but it was a while ago. So Rob, um, welcome to the show. And just, just refresh us where, where you're from and what you sort of do for, a, for your gig and, and your sort of path to Kona this year. Um, I'm from um, Richmond, Virginia. Um, I, I got to Kona this time through Tremblant um, a few weeks ago. Um, and, uh, I'm a sports chiropractor. I do sports therapy as well as, um, hub training center and, um, uh, triathlon coaching and, um, um, overall endurance, uh, lifestyle coaching. Nice. So this was a return to Kona. Um, I remember you were there in 2014 and you passed me somewhere on the run when I think I had my hands on my knees or I might've been in the, the, the toilet or something like that. Um, so I was really keen to get, see what the, the experience was for you, you know, this year was quite a bit different. So what what was it like this year compared to, I know you were there in 2014? And maybe, maybe look at it in two ways, pre-race and race day. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. And, and, and John, I'll always remind you, you're, you're my Peter Reed. <laughs> so uh, you know, I got you on a bad day. Um, but, um, but you know, pre-race, you know, I, to me, it, I mean, Kona is just, I don't know, it's a special place. So pre-race, it, it felt very much the same it was just you know a lot more people obviously um a little bit of weirdness just because some people are on some different timelines uh with racing thursday racing saturday yeah um but going into it i mean kona's kona i mean we're just thrilled to be here um the the atmosphere is just electric um you know a lot of your your icons and your pros are just walking around you see everything so so that part was really cool um that to me wasn't all that much different um but then going going into the race, uh, the two day format um, was was challenging on a lot of different fronts. So um, I'm not sure where you want me to start with that because yeah, um, I've got a lot of sort of uh, 
thoughts. Uh, but uh, but the pre-race was was really cool. Well, if if we start with um yeah, like, let's sort of talk us through that sort of pre-race. You know, the women are racing on Thursday, you guys are racing on Saturday. So logistically pre-race, um, did that create you know challenges for you? I guess one challenge you probably couldn't train on the course on Thursday. But what what, what yeah. were some of the pre-race challenges that you had with the, the two-day format? No, it wasn't all that bad. We had, just got to get here a little bit earlier. Um, I, I thought it was really cool at first. I was going in with the two-day format. I think it would be really neat to actually see the female pro race uh, from a spectator point of view. The only difference I would say that I felt pre-race was I just felt like I was a day ahead. So when we had packet pickup and the race happened, it felt like the race should have been going on for us on Friday as opposed to we still had another day uh, mm. before race day. But that was like no big deal. Uh, so, so that part really wasn't that bad, uh, and it was neat to to see uh, the female pros were up on the uh, bike course about uh, about a, about maybe you know, fifteen miles away from from transition. So to see them you know, riding on back was was a really cool opportunity. Um, okay, so come come race day, you know, when we were there in 2014, um, it was still one sort of mass start, and I sort of commented I'd, I would never go back until they did some form of um, wave starts, just because the drafting was insane. So, in terms of race day for you, you know, it would have been different this time round with the the wave starts. Did you feel that had much of an impact on both the swim and the bike in terms of drafting and just how the whole event felt? And also with it being a split day, did it feel like the field was smaller? You know, it, it didn't feel because I mean, honestly, we had what 2800, I think, maybe okay. on race day. So, so the yeah, field was, was the same, the course felt the same. Um, you just had more slots. So, but I, I was here in 2019 as well. So, I had a wave start there, uh, mm-hmm. and I had a wave start here. And then 2014, we had the mass start. Um, you, you know, with, with Kona, you've got so many similar athletes that even though you're in a wave of an age group, it was still hand to hand combat for, for the most part. So, you still have that. that Still have that big, um, that big mass start sort of feel, and I even started out wider left, um, but um, but so you still get that feel. But it really did it did help with the drafting part. It, I mean, in 2014, doing the the mass, it was just that was crazy because that that was like you you couldn't do anything but be in a group because you were either getting passed, you're passing somebody, uh, and here you had the opportunity to you know space out and ride legal while while there was a constant stream of people you could really for the most part ride legal i think i think the only time i I had a little bit of a hard time was on any of the climbs because i riding steady power you still have the mashers that are out there and as you ride up you would get caught by this big blob and those guys would ride a lot together and then when you go downhill you'd pass them but um but you could keep it legal um if you're really um you know being aware of it uh and and like any race there were people that weren't but for the most part i mean i i really think i saw mostly uh, really good, respectful riding. The wave starts, you know, experience them twice. When I did it in 2019, our wave a little bit sooner. The wave that I was in was later. And man, I, as you guys know, with Kona, you can just have a different course 15, 20 minutes later behind mm-hmm. whoever's out in front of you. Mm-hmm. So that that part was a bit interesting. So it's it's good all the age groups at least start together because they're exposed to the same conditions, the same timeline. Um, but um, but starting later on Saturday, obviously changes the game a little bit. You get off the bike later. Uh, the winds are different. Uh, so that part was, but it's, but it's all equal. So uh, I've got nothing to say about the 
age group starts. I, I think that that's I, John. You were here in 2014. You said you wouldn't come back mm. until they did it, and I think I think it definitely was a step in the right direction for pointier guys like you looking for podium spots. Um, that doesn't mess up, um, you know, the actual outcome. With with regards to um, the speed of the race, like we saw in the pro races, it was fast, particularly on Saturday. Yeah. Um, was it the same across the field in the age groupers? Did the conditions change as the day went along? And it was actually like, what was that? What was the kind of conditions for the age groupers? Well, it was different. It was still a crazy fast day on the bike. It, it was odd. Um, the when I when I got off on the bike uh, and then we got up on the Queen K, we were headed out to Javi and we had a head. We had a, a little bit of a headwind that started to stir up. There was no wind apparently early, like when the pros went through riding up to Javi, apparently didn't have any wind. Uh, um, and then as we got up, um, I think I started at 720, you know, maybe by like nine o'clock, we started to get a pretty, I mean, it's Kona, it was a headwind, but it wasn't like a Kona wind. Uh, and so you had that pretty much all the way up to Javi. It was relatively mild given Kona. Um, those, those pro guys, from my understanding, really had none of that. And then on the way back, that that headwind that we got was a tailwind for them. So it was just a stupid fast race uh, on the bike. And then you got up to the climb to Hawaii. And I remember thinking, looking to the left, uh, looking out over the ocean, because, John, I, I mean, you've been here. Uh, 2014 was a big, heavy wind year. Um, mm. And looking over to the left, uh, climbing up, wondering, like, did somebody hit the off switch? Like, what? I didn't know it could be like this. So. Um, it was, it was mild there. And then you came back down from Javi and you didn't have to fight those crosswinds coming down, which are scary. So you could really zip on right back down to the queen K and then, um, and then the ride back, we had a little bit of a boost from a, a tailwind that eventually, um, my, my buddy Moose who raced, uh, that tailwind had actually turned into, and we felt a little part of this had turned into a, a crosswind coming back. So those, those racers that started later had a different bike course than what the pros did. And then all of us age groupers had a little bit of a mix in between. Mm. So, um, so overall, you know, feeling about this, this two day format and, um, and having so many more people there, you know, any other experiences you want to share or, or is it a better experience? Yeah. No, you know, so I, I do. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm an, I love, Ironman, I'm not one of those Ironman haters. So, you know, I, I'm not one guy to like kind of complain much about it, but it, this, I honestly, we talked about it. And if it stays a two day event, I don't know that I would ever come back here. Why? Um, it's, um, you know, on multiple different layers. Uh, number one, the locals don't like it. And honestly, I don't blame them uh, to have Queen K shut down on a Thursday um it's just disruptive and i think it's somewhat disrespectful to the community uh, if you want a two-day race i think they got to figure out a way to do it a saturday sunday mm. uh, um but it's it's disruptive um to them and then economic it's disruptive to them and there is a huge 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 issue with volunteers mm. uh in fact i mean volunteer was such an issue that they changed the aid stations the aid stations on the bike were like maybe every 15 miles at times a little bit more uh, they changed the aid stations on the run to every mile and a half. And it might've felt like two miles, every aid station. Um, and even the volunteers that they did have, uh, boy, did they work hard. They, they were amazing. So, I mean, they had, they, they had to work double duty, um, but mm -hmm. each aid station was, um, was understaffed. 
um, overworked with everything. I, I don't know that anybody who volunteered would necessarily even want to do that again uh, because it was such a challenge. So they had to make a lot of, of really bad changes. Uh, as fast as the bike was, it was a really, really hot day. And so, I mean, my, my race felt even, I felt great coming off the bike, felt really, really conservative on a Leahy drive and got up to Queen K and um, just started to bake in the sun. And, and we didn't have aid stations for every two miles or so, maybe a little under, a lot of them actually ran out of ice. Wow. Um, they were running out of more and more stuff as time went along. So it was just, you know, from a, from a world championship standpoint, it's, it's sort of shocking that a race like that could go off and they could have so many problems. Um, and um, yeah, so they'd have a lot to sort out, but even if they did, uh, I think they'd always have a hard time with volunteers. And even if they did that, I think the community, I think, I think you're going to get some significant long-term backlash from the community if, if they force it like they are. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that they don't, they don't continue with something like that because um, as much as I, I love it and this is a magical place, um, I would, I would think, I would think more than twice about, um, about coming back on a two day race. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah that's a really good insight there. Um, any, any, how'd your, how'd your day go? You know, it was, honestly, uh, any day racing here is great. I, you know, I had a really nice, um, calm swim. I just kind of was staying conservative. The bike, um, the bike, like I said, was, was, um, not a crazy windy day, but I stayed really, really in my zones and I felt really strong in the back half on the way back. Cause I was headed out to Javi and there was a headwind. I'm like, dude, I, I know Kona, this is probably gonna be a headwind on the way back. This is <laughs> what I'm expecting. Um, the, the tri God are going to flip the switch. And so, I rode really conservative up to it and then benefited um, on the way back. And then I got off the bike and I just felt fresh. I felt fantastic. Um, and then managed on, um, on a Leahy drive. I, I ran super conservative aid station spaced out. Uh, and in the great part of Lee's, there's a little bit more shade that I remember, but there were people out there with hoses kind of kept you a little. Um, and then power walked up Polani thinking, man, okay, this is pretty good. And then got up to uh, Queen K and was like, huh, it's getting, it's getting a little hot. And then um, <laughs> that escalated, escalated, escalated to the point to where um, it, it became a real challenge. So the, um, the last 15 were, um, were, were definitely a grind, but um, you look around, man, and you're just grateful to be out here and be a part of this thing. So um, while it wasn't a fantastic result, um, uh, it was, um, it was a finish and um the funny part was I was I was doing simple math in my head, which is hard when you're tired. And suddenly, with maybe about ten miles to, to go, I realized that like if I could just manage like ten minute miles, I can at least finish with a ten on my number. Um, so I was the funny looking guy who was suddenly racing um, at um, at ten minute miles to get there, and I, and I got there with uh, um, maybe about thirty seconds to go. So oh, good work. Uh, nice. So it wasn't a great result, wasn't a bad result, and um, uh, just smiling the whole time while i was here great did you um i imagine you guys coming off the bike depending on where you started would have seen the pros uh on the queen k um when they were yes. running or, or did you miss that part yeah no i was i was coming in it was actually kind of cool i slowed down and they were coming back on the queen k and i saw um i saw one of the guys on a motorcycle or a bike next to him and i'm like what place is that guy and he said fifth and i was like oh well cool 
So I, I started <laughs> counting down and I went from fourth to third. Um, and then I saw Laidlow. It must have been just after the pass at some point. And some guy was just on him. Stay in it. Stay it. Like it was. I don't know if he was so much encouraging him as much as like yelling at him. Um, and then um, uh, had seen uh, Gustav uh, in the lead. And so it was just really cool to come up. And so I saw the, at least the top five guys um, on that home stretch and uh, just working hard. So um, Gustav looked incredible and um, Lalo looked like he was just in the hurt locker uh, trying to hold on. And I uh, thought that was kind of impressive to be able to hold on to second place with, um, with um, Blumenfeld behind him. Yeah, that was awesome. a, that was a that was a cool front row seat to the to see that back end. Yeah, of course, very good. Oh, well done making it. Got, got to give yourself another plug for um for Hub. So Rob's in Richmond, Virginia. So maybe just tell us a little bit about Hub and um and anything in particular you want to get out there for anybody in in your part of the country. Yeah, so so Hub's been a passion of of mine for a long time um, in my head, um, along with uh, my good uh, training buddy uh, Dr. Marion Herring. Um, we had three racers out here, uh, myself, Dr. Herring, and then Justin Moyer, um, and, um, Jed Vinich Kachorn. Uh, so we had four essentially, um, and hub stands for heal, understand and build. Um, and the concept is heal and not so much from injury as much as like any sort of patterns, any sort of, you know, any th- sort of things that are going on in life that you need to just kind of redirect and, and find, start to find some balance. Um, with all the crazy things that we do, um, the understand part is to you know, understand what you're headed for. What's the intention of what you're doing? What are your priorities? You know, get things and really start to understand the, the big picture of, of, of this endurance lifestyle and then use those ingredients to build a plan specific for you. So, you know, our, our big thing is priorities in life, whether, you know, top priority is family, second priority is work, and then third priority is training. And, and we find a lot of people that um, tend to kind of have those out of order. So it's, it's definitely a give and take, but we try to build an endurance community, endurance atmosphere around that philosophy. And, and we do endurance coaching. We do strength and conditioning. We do nutrition coaching. We do metabolic testing, video gate analysis. We really have this mantra of test, don't guess. We use a lot of science to mix in with the art of what we do um, and, and help people you know, who are who are time poor and maximize the things that they can do to be the best version of themselves, to be the best you, as you see, you is the center of hub. Um, and it's just, it's been a pleasure. We have people racing all over. We had, you know, somebody run a PR in Chicago marathon and qualify for Boston, which she didn't know she could do. So shout out to Mo. Um, and it's, it's just been a passion. And, and John, I've been, another plug is, is John and John's coaching. John has been a, not only a coach, but a mentor to me. And, and John, you've got a similar phase in life with me where you have two children about the same age. We're about the same age. And, and the beauty of what John does um, is not only maximize my time, but really balances things out. Um, and he has that perspective. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great coaches that, that do that, like John. And, and that's what we're trying to do here at Hub. Awesome work, Nat. You do a great job keeping keeping the family balance and everything like that. Is and, there a website? Uh, and a web website, Rob? It's uh, hubtrainingcenter.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, you have a safe trip home. Hope you partied hard last night. And um, yeah, well done on making it to the big island again. And uh, yes, sharing some really, really interesting perspectives that surprised us a little bit, I think, here. So yeah. thanks for your time, Rob. And uh, have a good final day in Kona and enjoy the travel home.
Yeah. Hey, cheers guys. And Hey, thank you for all your great work. I mean, as a, as a tri geek, man, you guys are just the best and uh, keep up the great work. And, and Bevan, I'm glad you, you made everything out healthy, man. Thanks mate. This means a lot. Awesome. Thanks everyone for coming on the show. All right. Cheers guys. Interesting, isn't it? It was interesting. I find lots of interesting stuff in there, but the fact that he wouldn't necessarily want to go back. Mm. And, well, and he's done it like it's not a first time, you know, like. One thing that hasn't really been, and we haven't discussed today, is just that financial cost, you know. It's probably double the price to go to Kona. And for us poor Kiwis, um, it's bloody expensive. And same for Europeans. You've got to go a long way. You've got to go there for a decent amount of time to acclimatize. It's incredibly expensive now. So that's another thing that, that sort of puts but, you off. But his concerns weren't really about the expense. His concerns no. were what was for the local community. I, I totally understand that. Yeah. That well, that's always sm- been your thing. That's why you never thought it would happen. It's a small place. There's not enough, not much accommodation. But it must bring so much money in. Yeah, but come on. Oh, oh yeah, but who's that? Is is that going to filter down to Joe Blogs in the street? No, it's going to filter down to the business owners. There you go. One uh, percent, John. For everyone else, so the one percent are going to crank it. All the accommodation people own that; they're going to crank it. Um, I put myself if if we weren't triathletes, if, if you put yourself in just a Joe Bloggs position, if I was getting shut in my house for a couple of days, or and it's those couple of days, and it's just the the mentalness. You're basically two weeks. You can't really drive your street car down the street without having to take an extra forty five minutes. I, I think they're entitled to be a bit pissed off. Yeah, tough one. It's tough yeah. one. Uh, okay, uh, next up we've got Laura Siddell. Another great race. Here she is. Okay, team. Um, I know a lot of people would have been stoked to see uh, the women's result on Thursday last week. Uh, one of a real crowd favourite, certainly here in Christchurch and wherever she goes around the world, was Laura Siddle. Um, previously had a best place that I could see of a 15th in Kona, um, and that was probably back when it only paid 10 deep. Um, she'd been racing pro since 2014, winning lots of Ironmans and challenge races around the world. Um, but this time round, she managed to get to 10th place, which was uh, looked really awesome. So welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you. It's good to uh, good to chat to you guys again. Do you know what was really great? Um, and thank you for the intro on that. But what was really great was actually seeing all the Kiwis out out here again. Like, I feel like I haven't seen uh, people from New Zealand for a, a long time. So it was really great to see everybody and catch up in in Kona. It's pretty cool for you this year because obviously the seventh in St George was pretty special. But then to come back and back it up this weekend as well. How does it? What does it? What does it mean for you? Um, <laughs> it's still sinking in, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to get my head around it. We had the, we had the awards last night. And so that, and so I was able to go up on stage and I think it sort of started, started to sink in, sink in then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty big. I didn't think, um, I would be getting a top 10 in Kona for various reasons. I've always sort of said race isn't my type of race or it's not for me, or I've come into the race having done several Ironman or Iron Distance races over the year. Um, and then, yeah, off the back of, you know, we had two world championships this year, which St. George was amazing. And again, that was kind of exceeded expectations to some extent. And it was then sort of the, my coach, Julie, sort of planted that, that oh, wouldn't get if you got two top tens in world championships in the same year. And I kind of didn't really believe her because um like I said never sort of really thought Kona was the race that suited me and particularly this year um with the women on the on a separate day and the the numbers you know bigger start field the caliber of women's racing these days 
Um, and I had a pretty rough run in sort of since since May. Um, so yeah, to come away with that tenth, um, I'm I'm absolutely yeah absolutely stoked. Still still flying high with it at the moment. A couple of comments here, but what 2018 you had a great year. You know you you won three yeah. races, you podium pretty much every year you went. Um, how does this year? What what year is more special? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, gosh. 2018 was special with the three wins um, there. This year is just, uh, yeah, I think now taking a bit of time to process and to think back. This this year's, 2018, I guess, was consistently pretty good, yeah. if that makes sense. Because you pretty much podiumed every race you did, really, yeah. other than Hawaii. Yeah. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas this year's had two massive highs with the world championships and then some pretty lows in between so it's been a real roller coaster so from that that's been different and that's been probably hard to to manage but then if i like sitting now having done those two world champs and with the results i got um and i'm gonna say it my age yeah, as well yeah, um yeah i'm yeah. I'm pretty stoked. So I guess for different reasons, it's it's pretty high up there as well. So why why go back to Kona? Yeah, you know, um, the, the way you're talking, you're thinking oh, I'm not necessary in this race to for the win. You know, you want to do as well as you can, but somebody of your caliber could go to do another race. You know, either in the weeks preceding when it's a soft field and and possibly win it, and and obviously get some prize money associated with that. So for you, what was the big driver to go back to Hawaii? Um, I think having a coach that had planted that seed and showed that she had the belief in me. Um, I think also there is still um, so much focus, attention, draw, attraction from everyone in the industry, from the athletes to race in Kona. And that's still very much there from from sponsors and things. And um, I think I also wanted to be part of making history with the women on having the the females with a separate race and that was kind of quite key and important but I think it was yeah probably the seed being planted of having having a coach that sort of believed in what I could potentially achieve you know Kona you have to have a little bit of luck the cards have to fall fall the right way and so so I was fortunate that on the whole they did that for me um but yeah I think that was that was a reason a reason of coming back and also I think probably yep I could have chosen another race um but it you never know when your last Kona could be um and so I qualified in St George and I had that slot and so it was like well let's just embrace this and and go along with it so financially would it work out better for you to get a 10th in Kona or to win an Ironman somewhere in terms of bonuses and prize money, you know, how, how would that sort of balance out? Um, I've not actually done that maths. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so they, I mean, they pay. They're now paying fifteen in Kona, yeah. which is great. Um, I think probably though, with the cost of like sort of the training camps leading up to it and the cost of Kona, I, I'm hoping I've covered my expenses yeah, <laughs> with tenth place yeah. still um i and i do get some so some of my sponsors i'm grateful they do give me some bonuses for top 10 here yeah. um nice. so actually so i haven't worked out on 
I think I'd need to go to a region. It would probably be a, a regional championship that I would need to win mm. as an Ironman to kind of probably make the same. And obviously, St. George was a seventh place, so a, a little bit, a little bit higher as well. And I, and I imagine top ten in, in a world championship gives you more credibility than maybe a second tier race. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens in the next few months if anyone yeah. sort of. Well, give a credibility you know, and money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can say, look, two top two top tens um, at world championships in one year. Let's yeah. let's hope it stands for something. Yeah. So, how did the race pan out for you? I saw you coming off the bike, and it looked like you were by yourself at that stage, yeah. from memory. Yeah. So, yeah. sort of t- talk us through your, your race. Yeah. So. Um, I had a, I'm super stoked with my swim. I had a great swim to get out pretty well and get on the back of a group or I, well, I wasn't sure if I was on the back or whether I was in the middle, um, but was in a group and was just sort of looking at the feet in front. And I guess as we started and felt pretty comfortable with that, I mean, it's always a bit of, you know, the first little bit's a little bit panicked, but I was trying to sort of stay pretty calm. And when we got to the turnaround and we we're coming back in, um, I'll give credit. I was sat on a Penny Slater, Australian pro female athlete, her feet, and she swam. She was brilliant. She was so strong coming back in, and we kind of were moving up sort of through the group, and I could had the chance to sort of stick my head up in sight a bit as well, and I see that there are a few coloured caps because they give a certain women yeah. coloured caps so the, the commentary can see them. And I was pretty stoked with the group that I was in. Um, and it was it was the back of the uh, I think Laura Phillip, Daniela Reef, Annie Haug, Sky Monch kind of group. Mm. We strung out a little bit as we came into T one. So I as I went through, t- those girls were I was sort of at the back. They were at the front, so they did sort of get away. And I just missed getting on with the bike with Sarah Sphinx. And I think she in the end of it, she ended up riding up to them. But in the end, it worked out pretty well because I was slightly concerned with. Whilst I was super happy with the swim in the group I was in, and I'm pretty sure people didn't expect me to be there, um, I was worried that if there was a big group on the bike, that can cause all kinds of issues with dynamics and getting the spacing and working out where you fit and stuff. So, But as we did the loop around town on the bike, I just rode my my power and I found I was kind of moved past people, moved to the front, got onto the Queen K and assumed that people were behind me coming with me and I was dragging them sort of thing and I was like that's fine at least you're at the front you can stick to your power and what's you know then got a few kilometers along the Queen K and had a look over my shoulder and I was no one there and I was (laughs) on my own and I was like okay we're we're just going with this um and then spent the rest of the day yeah riding solo um I could see I could see the pack that Daniela's pack up ahead because you could see all the camera vehicles and stuff around them and I I knew then I like there was no way I was going to be able to get bridge up probably on my own to that yeah. with the the firepower that they had in that group and I was semi expecting people to come and catch me from behind but no one did um and I was hitting my numbers pretty much spot on so I was super happy with that but yeah it was a lonely a lonely bike ride <laughs> mm. I was yeah sort of no no man's land for most of it um but again pretty stoked that i held the same time as lucy and Fenella, who were at the oh. front of the race riding together um at times with a few motorbikes i will say from what yeah. i could see yeah. um but so yeah so i was i was pretty happy that with the bike in the end um and then started 
started the run and was like, okay, you know, it is hot now, obviously, as it always is in Kona. And I didn't feel amazing, but I sort of like, you know, there's no need to panic. We're just going to take the first bit on a Lehi drive pretty steady. Um, I knew the plan was to be running strong from the energy lab home. Um, and so, and actually looking at some of the videos people took of, of me running on a Leahy drive, I actually look better than I felt <laughs> at the time. Um, and yeah, and felt I'd started pretty conservatively, um, well within what I was felt we were felt was capable and was in control and was like, you know, taking care of the process, keeping cool and drinking and food and nutrition and stuff. Um, but then just, yeah, got out onto the Queen K and as anyone who's raced here, it's just almost like a different world out there. And I just struggled it, struggled a bit to find that, find that rhythm. Um, but still sort of just kept tapping away. I thought you don't need to do anything special. I, I did actually feel pretty rel- relatively, I would say not pretty, relatively good coming out of the energy lab. And I was like, this is it. This is brilliant. This is what we planned. Like, just let's build it up with 10K to go home. And I knew I was starting to catch Sky in front. And I think she'd been throwing up. So I was like, okay, maybe she's suffering. But I knew I had Susie Cheatham sort of gradually closing behind me. Um, and then I got to about 7K to go and it felt like that big piano <laughs> came and <laughs> sort of landed on landed on my back. And so it was a, a tough 7K home trying to do the maths on um, how many minutes Susie was behind me, how many kilometers I had left to go, how much faster was she having to run to catch me before the finish? Can I hold on? And I kind of knew that if I did, if I could do one last push up to the top of Palani and I still had a sort of gap at the top that when you run down Palani and, and that last sort of couple of Ks are probably pretty safe if there's a bit of a gap. So, yeah. What's the, the feeling amongst yourself and the woman in terms of having the, the two-day format? I imagine it would have been awesome for you guys on the, both the, the bike. You can see where you place at the turnaround. Um, yeah. On the run, you're running along Ali'i and you're sitting in whatever place and you're the, the, the 12th or whatever 10th person to come yeah. along Ali'i compared to normally there'd be 50 pro guys in front of you and probably a handful of age groupers. And, and then if you're another 10 back, it's probably, yeah, you're going to get a cheer, but people probably – and I, I guess it must have yeah. felt so, so different for you ladies. It it was. It was brilliant. And actually, do you know what was a buzz? Having people come up to you after the race and on Friday and saying how much they enjoyed watching the women oh, race really? and being able to have the opportunity to see the women's race. And I also think um, the way the men's race played out as well, if we'd have been on the same day, nobody would have seen Chelsea's mm-hmm. run. Nobody yeah. would have seen the race that happened, which was amazing. Yeah. No, would have, nobody would have seen that, you know, Daniela's zooming up on the bike in the second half, but then not having the run legs and it would have been completely lost again sort of thing. So mm. from that respect, it was fantastic that we, you were, yeah, we had that clear race. You could see the competitors, you knew you were at the front of the race or, or wherever you were, which was pretty special. But I think the bigger thing was having people come up on like the Thursday night and the Friday and even, even the Saturday when we're watching the men and just saying how good it was to be able to watch the race and like they hadn't really appreciated how good women's racing was before that. Overall, would you, you want to continue like that moving forward? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think there's still some tweaks we need to do to, like? to kind of make it. Um, so uh, this year we, it was only the, the pro women started and then it was only a five minute gap back to the age group women, 
and it was the 30 to 34 age group so that's a competitive age group a lot of those women are looking to go pro so they would probably some of them did swim up and or were riding up through the pro fields um and so again it's not quite our own race as such yeah um whereas compared to the men who race obviously race on the saturday had they had 15 minutes between the age groupers and the pros it's bizarre Um, they they didn't do that for you guys uh lots of valid reasons and hopefully next year um it should be female only we had waves to get through on the Mm, thursday race because we had a few male waves in there so we still got kind of affected by the males race um and also they said they'd done the analytics and said that it shouldn't affect the top 10 pros Mm. and i was like okay fair but what about the rest of the pro women they still deserve a fair race and also it doesn't affect the top 10 at the finish line but that top 10 might have been affected early on earlier on in the race so i get it look they you know it was it's a it's a great step in the right direction having the two-day format i mean i it's hard logistically on the organize on the town on the community on the event teams like it's brutal to put it on for that a length of time um but it was great for the women and i think like next year hopefully will be another step forwards um because it will be it will only be the women on the on the thursday i would also like to see going forward that the days switch so that uh alternate with the men will be on thursday and the women on saturday and then the next year the women on the thursday the men why just because the saturday's a better day yeah so thursday is a work day so are you getting actually interestingly looking at the youtube hits i don't it might not have changed it was actually pretty even on coverage, which is really exciting as well. So mm-hmm. the number of hits people watching on YouTube was pretty similar for the men to the women. But I think just, you know, we all went, everyone who raced on Thursday was out there watching on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the men and a lot of the athletes that raced on Saturday did come out at times on Thursday. And that was amazing. And it was great and appreciated. But it's not mm. quite, we're less volunteers, um, less of that general people out and about for the race and also if you think about it from coverage to the rest of the world um time zones and stuff it's friday it's a work day um mm-hmm. are you going to get the eyes on where saturday is the big european you know everyone in europe is can watch it and it's got that big bigger opportunity to be seen so and i just think it should it should alternate why shouldn't it alternate yeah, yeah, what you know there's yeah yeah. Um, only other thing I had a question on is just any, any PTO news you want to get out there. You know, um, we spoke to you <laughs> earlier in the year. Um, any PTO stuff? And one p- specific question I had, and Bevan and I debated this a couple of weeks ago, is should athletes, pro athletes that get lapped on the run, be taken off the taken off the course, and they still get the prize money for in the, in the what, championship races. Whatever, whatever place they're they're in and the PTO events, should they get taken off the course like you do on the bike? Because it, it looks quite messy oh. on the coverage. Um. So I well, I personally don't think they should get lapped out on the bike or the run. Thank you. So that's my Thank you. view. You, you you side with me there. Thank um, you. <laughs> You're a wise I, woman. <laughs> I think. Um, look, it depends on. The way the PTO races are going is this short, the 100k distance. Uh, they want the lapped courses, obviously, because it's easier visuals. It's easier probably for containment within a, a city or wherever the locations are going to be. Um, I don't believe 
the athlete should get lapped out on the bike. It's not like ITU racing. It's not packs that are going around. The athletes are spaced out. They're not getting in the way. I think we have more of an issue of motorbikes affecting mm. the race than a lapped mm -hmm. athlete affecting the race. And I think if you put the rules of saying if you are lapped on the bike, you know, don't jump in on their race on the back of it. You know, you've been lapped, stay clear, let the race go on. Um, I think if you had the lap out and, and again, like I think you saw in Dallas, it, for me in Dallas, it was so hot that people were exploding on the run. And there were people that could have the, the people that are maybe not as strong in the swim and not as strong on the bike, but are good runners they could have run themselves up into the money because the people in front of them were DNFing and blowing up. Mm. And we didn't give them that opportunity because you'd already taken them out of the race. And so when it's an invitational race as well, and they've earned the right to be there, I feel that they should have the right to finish. Um, and maybe it's that you make the laps a little bit bigger or you make it so that statistically they shouldn't be lapped out athletes. Um, but, you know, anyone can have a mechanical or a bad day, but they should still be, I, I feel they should still be given the opportunity to finish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. You side with Bevan there. My, yeah. I guess my point of view, my point of view is. I don't think you changed John's opinion. Is yeah, yeah. It just looks messy on the coverage when you get people getting lapped. And the same thing happened at an ITU race at the weekend. Yeah. My ITU World Triathlon, he was lapping yeah. people and it was a key where he was lapping. And I was like, oh, it just doesn't look I mean, that I, good for Joe Bob. Yeah. I, I get it because I know in the women's race in Dallas, Ashley Gentle was lapping uh, Tamara Jewett. But Tamara Jewett is one of the fastest oh, runners yeah. in, the, in the sport. So, and if you look at the men's race in Dallas, a lot of that field, like oh, yeah. Jason J Jason West, Matt Hansen, they are the fast runners in the sport, and they'd have been lapped or almost lapped out. Like, and then you're like, and and I think if you are saying you're paying a certain prize fit purse, so you're saying you're paying a hundred thousand, a million, whatever it is but then only like 10 people finish because you've lapped everyone out. You're not effectively paying mm. that prize purse. Mm. Uh, I think they so, need longer laps than then we'll all be happy. I think, yeah. He, he I never think, concedes, yeah, yeah. He never concedes think, Laura. No, no, I think you're right. I think like if the laps, if we have those longer laps where effectively there shouldn't be a lapping out, um, then maybe. Interestingly, I think I'm probably of the opinion I, I don't think there should be lap but i think a lot of the athletes are happy with the lap out rule mm. so that's also interesting as well yeah. anything else happening this season for you or is it you're done and dusted and putting your feet up for yeah you? um i'm about to travel on a heinous journey of that's gonna sounds like it's gonna take about three days back to the uk yeah. um i've got visa interviews for my us visa so then it depends a little bit how long my passport takes to come back. Um, I'm actually, so no racing for me for the rest of the year. Um, I, yeah, I need a bit of a break just from the two big races is, is hard mentally, phys physically with St. George and Kona. And I think probably emotionally bigger effect. Mm -hmm. um, so no more racing for me this year, but I am coming back out to Hawaii in November and I'm crewing for Dee Dee Griesbauer the oh, nice. ultraman world championships yeah. Right. so yeah and i'm the i think i'm the run pacer so as i was riding 
riding back from home, I was like, oh my God, I've got this <laughs> in, yeah. in like six weeks' time. It is a long way to run with Queen K. It is, yeah. Awesome. Well done on a fantastic yeah. race. Yeah, um, legend, mate. Great everyone's stoked to see you do well and uh, enjoy your final days in Kona and um, good luck with the visa. Yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for the support always and, and having me on to chat. Awesome, mate. You're a legend. Uh, game just what, a, what how cool for her you mm. know she's 42 mm. you know like you know like and again at 2018 yeah she had a stellar she won three I mean I think she had like three, six podiums you know like she had a great year in 2018 but to pull off two top tens you know St George were like wow Laura had a great race mm. but they were kind of like St George is almost unique mm. um, and that, taking nothing away from a race in St George because it was stellar but then to back it up this time of the year and it's just it must be so satisfying just to tick that box going I've done a really good race in Kona. Yeah. You know, whether you finish 10th or whatever place it is, just go, it's cool I finished 10th, but I also had a really good race. And you can just kind of tick that off. And she rode the whole thing by himself. <laughs> that's tough. You know, because the interesting question of if she got up with that front pack, yeah. you know, who knows? Now, there's a lot of what ifs in life, but, you know, it was good stuff. Okay, we've got another interview coming. We have. Uh, as long as we get this done, we should be all sweet. Uh, Gareth Holbrook is coming your way. Here he is right now. Right, a team. Um, another athlete that was over there on the Big Island. He was there for the first time. I remember him saying um, in the past, "I'm not going to Kona until I get to the uh, get to the Ironman World Champs." His wife's been over. She came over on my Epic Camp Light one year. So I'm not coming. I'm not coming until I get to the Big Kona. And now he's done it, qualifying via the um, via the Legacy Program as Gareth Holbrook. So welcome along to the show, Gareth. Hello, John. Hello, Bevan. Do you, know what's that. really, do you know what's really funny, Gareth? I remember you, meeting you when you very first started your Ironman. One day at Scotty Brown's, this would be, this would be like 2005, um, when you first arrived in Christchurch yeah. and you, you know, you said, I want to go to Kona. That's my kind of goal, you know, and, and, you know, like you, you've done it now, haven't you? Yeah. And I remember meeting you for the first time, Bevan, and you'd just qualified. Uh, in oh, yeah. Ironman, okay. Yeah, so that must have, yeah, it must have been 2004 then. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crazy. Cool. So, um, Gareth, you went over there for you know a little while to to acclimatise. Um, I'm really keen to hear, you know, your first firstly your first impressions of the Big Island in terms of sort of that build up, and also how things changed as the race got closer and it started becoming more of a zoo. So, what what was it like the island compared to what you thought it'd be like, and how did things change as as you kind of got closer to the race? Yeah, so when well, when I first landed, I spent a few days in Waikiki, uh, and that's what I thought Hawaii would be like, lots of high-rises and shops and hotels. Um, but the Big Island is a lot more like uh, what you'd imagine a Pacific Island. And for the first few weeks, uh, I was out training on the Queen K, and there were a few other athletes, not many, uh, and we'd all give each other a knowing smile and a wave and a nod. Um, it was only really the last 10 days that you started to see the hustle and bustle of everybody arriving, uh, especially in the last week. Uh, I went to pick up my wife at the uh, at the airport, which she landed the week before, and it was started to get really busy then. Um, but it, it wasn't as busy as I, uh, you know, you read on social media, people saying it was going to be pandemonium. And I never saw that busyness. Even, you know, two days before the race, we went to Big Kahuna to have breakfast, to have brunch. And it was just people there, but it wasn't insanely busy. So don't believe the hype on in, on social media. 
Ah, very good. Well, you know, I know you wanted to do all the um, sort of pre-race activities and I think you went and did the underpants run and all that sort of stuff. So for, for a first time, tell us about some of those sort of things you did in race week. And again, if, if sort of the hype and the expectations kind of um, met the, the, the standards you thought you might be reached. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed all of that. It's, it's the whole experience. I mean, the, the race is obviously the, the reason you're there. Um, but I went to the the Anzac, uh, the Australian New Zealand uh, lunch. I went to the Legacy breakfast, um, did the underpants run, like you said, and um, and on all. I, I pretty much did everything, and, and for me that was the experience. It was all. It, it was exactly what I was expecting. I've been to ITU World Champs before, and, and so I know what the um, the buzz can be like. Um, but I guess this was on a different level, and it, it meant so much. Um, and, and even the the pre race dinner you know, the Cabo loading party, that was fantastic. And, you know, to see Mike Riley for one more time was, was yeah, fantastic. True. Yeah, I suppose it's the thing. This is the last time. What was the um, the legacy breakfast? What what was involved in that? Was it pretty cool? What did they do for that? Yeah, so there were uh, 500 of us, I think. Wow. Uh, slightly short, few, shy of 500 of us. So there was a huge backlog of legacy athletes there. And we, we got there. We, you know, there's a, a bit of uh, bit of food to have, but there was a talk by Mike, by the CEO of Ironman, uh, and we had Mark Allen, uh, Dave Scott, uh, Jan Frudino was there, and, wow. and Crowey. Uh, so, and people were talking through the experience and really reassuring us that although we didn't qualify on time, uh, it's still a great achievement, I think, for any legacy athlete because it shows consistency uh, and it shows commitment over a long period of time together. Oh, I totally agree. I think I think legacy is one of the best things I've ever done. Mm. Um, in, in terms of your perceptions of the course, you know, um, what did you kind of discover again versus what you thought might be there, and what maybe other first timers might might learn, you know, compared to what you see on the on the screen when you when you're watching the pros racing. So it's this is a funny thing. So almost every race I've done because I've done. Uh, 15 Ironman races now and 25 ultra distance races, all of the different branded ones. And, and at every race, there's always people will be saying, oh, you know, there be dragons, you know, worry about that hill in, in Zoffingen or, or Solberg and in, in, in Challenge Road. And and I, one thing I've always learned is it's never as bad as people say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they, they and they say of Kono, it's hot. And I thought, well, you know, I, Ironman West, Western Australia is hot as well. <laughs> Um, but it's uh, so I was expecting it to be tough, um, but it kind of the the course itself isn't too difficult in terms of hills or or being technical. Um, but that heat during the day did creep up on me, and it did surprise me. It was the first time that I really suffered mm. um, in the heat, even though I, I I was prepared as I possibly could be. Um, so I normally I hear what people say about the challenges of any race and just say I'll, I'll take it in my stride as it as it comes. Um, but I, I was really surprised coming out of the energy lab how I felt. <laughs> what, what about the course? You know, yeah, you've done it now. Is it a course you go, yeah, that was a cool course. I really enjoyed it. Um, or have you done, you know, courses that, that you've, you've liked a hell of a lot more? I enjoyed the bike. Um, I really enjoyed the, the bike for me was, was good. It was rolling hills. It wasn't really hard. Uh, get out of your seat kind of hill climbing. And I could just um, get on my bars, dial it in, uh, and really zone in for the for the whole five hours, forty five or five fifty, whatever it is. Um, so I really enjoyed it. It's, I, I enjoyed Challenge Row. Uh, it's it's more scenic, but if you're looking at the scenery, you're probably not going hard enough. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so I, you know, I I enjoyed it, and I'm and obviously, John, you know, for the few weeks before, I was I think I'd, I rode to Harvey four or five times in the yeah. few weeks before, so I was familiar with the course. Um, so for me, it was the the joy of um, also because it was a wave start on the Thursday. I was the second to last wave out, and I I pretty much spent the entire bike just constantly overtaking other people, and that, nice. it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Very, very few people overtook me because I was, I'm not a fast swimmer. So I was one of the last hours of the water. And so I spent the entire day overtaking people. And that, that, that really felt great uh, to get into run. And, and I felt good as well physically at the end. Um, so I really enjoyed the bike. Um, what, what about racing on the Thursday? You know, obviously you haven't had the experience of racing, um, on the, you know, when it was a one day format, you know, so you were starting, as you said, one of the last waves, it was most, when I looked at the numbers, there was actually a lot of guys were racing on Thursday, but they were of mostly of the older generation. Um, as Bevan was pointing out earlier mm. on, he said, geez, I said, Gareth's in the 50, 50 age group. He yeah. goes, Oh, we're getting crap. older. <laughs> I'm not that much younger than Gareth. Yeah. Um, we're all getting older. Um, uh, what was it like racing with the the woman? And I, I know you haven't got a comparison, but what what was that like? Um, I didn't notice it, so it, I, I guess the the difference was you just I, I, because when I race, I mostly race Ironman New Zealand, and because I'm a slower swimmer, like one ten in New Zealand, one fifteen, I'm towards the back end of the field, and so I catch up a lot of the slower cyclists, which generally speaking would be more the women mm. so i i guess i saw the same proportion of people at, at my end of the field um there was in the swim obviously the 25 year old guys were behind us and mm. so they there was a bit of a tsunami <laughs> flood, flood over <laughs> me at one point <laughs> that was funny um but um, i i didn't notice a difference i i did see there was a lot of traffic but it was a big race obviously yeah um but there was there was never a point when i felt people were in the way Mm -hmm. um I, you know i could always find a space to get around people um and, and some races sometimes especially in new zealand actually sometimes you find it there's bunches and it's not people deliberately bunching up but you find the same people overtake you and then a minute later you're overtaking them again i didn't notice that at all mm. um so i just i felt like i had a clear road with mm. lots of bikes on my right all the way through um, um yeah mainly mainly female but you, you can barely tell right when you when you go in it's yeah. lots of you know you got your head down yeah so obviously, um, you see the swim, swim went pretty well, the bike went pretty well, sounded like it got pretty, pretty challenging on the, the run, to put it mildly. Um, how did you kind of experience that and, and, and maybe tell us about your experience and what got you to the finish line? Yeah, this is a funny story. Every race, um, I'm kind of in retrospect glad that every race has a story to tell. Um, going up and down Elite, Elite Drive uh, for the first 12K uh, felt good. Um, I was pacing myself. I caught up with Steve Farrell, who was having a really tough day. He's somebody I've known for years, and uh, yeah, I was I was on on point with both heart rate and and pace. And then when I got to Palani Drive, suddenly there was a bit of a climb, and I thought, oh yeah, this this is going to smart. So I walked through Palani, and you know the highlight of my day was on that aid station was having Jan Fredino pass me a water. That nice. really gave me a spur yeah. of energy. I mean that's. That's that's enormous, and it shows his spirit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm grateful to all of the volunteers, um, but that in particular was was fantastic. And then going on the Queen K, um, I started to feel uh, lightheaded, which is 
it hasn't ever happened to me before. I've got cramp before and I've had issues before and I usually implode at 25k anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, this was different. And then go through the energy lab. I, I started to think, you know, this isn't, this doesn't feel great. And then coming out of the energy lab, I, I had to sat, sit down for five minutes, uh, got up again and I just <laughs> fell down straight away. Oh, really? Uh, and then I was, I was actually on the roadside for, I think about 40 minutes looking at my data. Uh, 30 or 40 minutes and i had medics there and and in retrospect it was hyponatremia and i think what i did is i was overzealous with the ice water uh throwing it over myself and drinking it and i think i just uh lost too much uh electrolytes uh, okay and at that point you know i i didn't think i could finish uh you know my hands were clawing i was getting pins and needles in both my feet and arms and um you know my wife a doctor she said that yeah that was uh that's metabolic alkalosis, respiratory alkalosis you were getting there. Quite a few athletes get that. Mm. And so I couldn't imagine how I could possibly get up, or let alone run it, run it out. But um, a medic came, gave me some salt. Um, and after half an hour, a doctor came and checked me out and said, are you really sure you can finish? And, you know, half an hour before I was saying, that's it, I'm pulling the pin. Uh, but I did manage to walk and then for the last two kilometers run. Uh, because you know you got to look good at the finish line. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I and I did run whenever I saw a camera, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I I hit a really dark patch. Um, but for me, that's part of the story because it's it's about how you overcome adversity and you know yeah, exactly. uh, be resilient to responding to it. it. It's it would have been easy to give up, and and I felt like I wanted to give up at the time. I know now, two hours later. That would have really hurt. That would have really hurt. So I'm, yeah, I'm it so is forever, isn't it? You know. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think it probably um, goes goes without saying that probably felt pretty cool running down Lee Drive down that that final stretch. Yeah, it always does. Um, every Ironman, that the pain you go through with those 12, 13 hours, uh, for me is it's worth it for that last few hundred meters. And another thing I tend to do as well is getting into the finish line is give the person in front of me a little bit of time to give mm. Mike time to call him an Ironman. Yeah. And then just look behind me, see if there's no one catching up on me. I didn't quite manage that this time, but I really soaked in the experience of that last few hundred meters. The crowd went wild yeah. and, and, and it felt, you feel special. Yeah. Uh, and to, to hear Mike call you an Ironman again, um, for me, that, that was everything. And, and luckily, because my wife was in the medical tent, she was at the finish line as well. Mm -hmm. um and was able to walk me through and and check me out and i, and I was fine by then so by the, by the time i'd had the salt and they were putting bone broth on the on the on the last few aid stations um i'd re recovered from the hyponatremia and I, I was fine the next day mm -hmm. um so yeah it for me the lesson even you know 25th ultra distance race i'm still learning and my lesson there is i'm going to go away and do the test uh, the salt sweat test mm -hmm. um because i think i'm i sweat out a lot more electrolytes than i thought i did yeah um being a first timer any any other sort of tips you know you've given some really good advice um as you've been talking but any, any other tips for for first timers on things that you kind of you learned about the big island whether it be the race whether it be about logistics or, other or any, anything like that yeah um the advice i would give to anybody doing any race and in particular this is don't believe the negativity you may pick up on on social media it wasn't as as busy and as bad and big queues as people were saying and it's yeah kind of expensive but you know just expect mm -hmm. that but i think the the biggest uh advice is yeah you're gonna meet challenges and you just have to 
you just have to address them, have that resilience, have that mindset of overcoming them. Mm. And uh, yeah, nothing is insurmountable. If, you know, I, if I can do it, you know, anyone can. And yeah. and and that's for, for me. I mean, I, I'm I'm doing Ironman New Zealand again in a few months' time. Mm-hmm. And again, I'll I'll face challenges. Then it's it's never easy, um, but it's never impossible. Well, and, and you know, as we said earlier, the legacy is you know you've been in the sport for a long time. You've given a lot to the sport, and it's really cool that you get that experience um, because that's what the legacy is all about. You know, everyone's valuable in this sport, and people who've been in it for a long time deserve the experience you've gone through. So, well done, mate. Did you? Um, I know you flew out on Saturday, and I don't know what time, but did you get to watch much of the the men's race? And that probably, if you did, I imagine it was a pretty cool experience. It was. It was great. So we were watching the uh, we watched the swim from the hotel. We packed, checked out, uh, and came in. We saw people's the you know a lot of people cycling on the Queen K, and then we watched the marathon. And and then uh, we were just getting a taxi into the airport as Gustav overtook. Uh, I'm sorry, who's the second guy? His name Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so we we saw that, uh, and we we heard Mike calling uh, Gustav in for the finish. Nice. Um, so, so that was that was a really great experience as well to see the race. Yeah, awesome. And and I think that's the good thing about it being on two days. Actually, if I were ever to do it again, uh, firstly I would volunteer on the day I'm not racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be a great thing for all of us to do um, because there's going to be a bit of a, a strain on the locals volunteering for both. Mm-hmm. But it means you can watch one race and compete in another. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, well done on making it to Kona, and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you smoke it at Ironman New Zealand. Big time. Brilliant. Hey, thanks Thank so much, you, guys, mate. and I'll, I'll see you both. See yeah, you I'll see you both very soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, we actually interviewed Gareth after we did this bit, so I'm sure Gareth was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, nice stuff. Okay, Jombo, let's get into the last part of the show. So let's go Wanger of the Week. Now you've chosen number 92. Well, I did not choose anything, Bevan. Random.org chose number 92. And number 92 is Matthew Payne. And I just so happy to know. He feels the pain. Matthew feels the pain. So last week he did. Oh, he's changed positions now. No, I'm looking at the wrong week. Hold on a second. Uh, 92 place. Now, Matt is an interesting one because he came to me. I don't know, a year and a half ago or something like that. And he wanted to do the Oxman, which is a race that I organise, okay, yep, half Ironman. Yep. And Matt, to be fair, was not the smallest fella on the planet. Yep. And he had no experience whatsoever. Oh, really? <laughs> and I say, oh, three year plan. <laughs> oh, about this. And he wanted to do Ironman. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Oh, here you go. Go, go and give, the, give this a crack. To his credit, he went out there and did it. He's lost a huge amount of weight. Good he's still man. on. He's still on that journey of losing weight, training up to do Ironman. But he did exceptionally well in his first race, um, which was going to half Ironman. Your first race, uh, he did fantastic. He was stressing about the cutoffs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but he made it, which was great. So last week he did twelve hours twenty six minutes. He did one hour twenty one in the of swimming, eight hours fifty nine of uh, cycling, and two hours and five minutes of running. So he's from the UK, um, but he lives in Christchurch. Yeah, does he have a, does he have an Ironman he's training for? Like, yeah, is there he's a date? training up for for Ironman in. March. I'm sure he's doing the March version. Uh, work, so I love, this. I love, I love the, the transformational experience. Yeah, no. you know, this is life changing stuff we've got off, mate. Absolutely, you no, lost a huge amount of weight. Uh, so awesome work. I've never had, you know, I've never been overweight, but I imagine what a cool experience that would be. Mm. 
you know, because it's hard to, you know, you've never been overweight, no. you know, we might have put on a couple of kg, but I've never been like 20 kg overweight. And to go from that experience of, of having a body like that to then, you know, p- being an athlete, really, you know, and just that, that, the day-to-day life and the difference in that, it's mm. massive, man. It's so cool. Yeah, it's a big challenge. So awesome work, Matthew massive Payne. Challenge. You are our wanger of the week. Okay, Jombo, let's talk about... I haven't, uh, haven't got a quiz question this week. I haven't actually got an email. So just quickly, David Petzer sent through, we missed out on Chattanooga. We did. A few weeks ago. So just listen to this week's show and notice that you guys did not mention the results from Chattanooga on September the 25th. Are you pulling up the results? Yeah, it was an age group only race and, and, and not taking away from age group racing or anything like that. That often doesn't show up on our sort of okay. radar. Um, but I'll, I'll read this bit and then you can read the results. So my wife and I did the race. So for a couple quick notes for you, if you get to mention it in the next show. First of all, very fast down river swim. Always is. It's yep. crazy. Rumor has it that uh, the slowest swim time was 1 hour 30. Which is normally cut off two twenty, isn't it? Mm. Um, I was. It was very rainy and windy on the bike, which led to slower bike times. Then the sun and heat came out on the run course, making it a difficult day, or all round with weather wise. The race had additional one hundred slots for females to qualify for Kona, all thanks to Women's for Triathlon organisation. Most importantly, they announced that the field was thirty one percent women, which was largest percentage of women in any Ironman field ever, which is really interesting. So, so taking it out was uh, Drew Jordan. He did a nine hours and fifty. 50 seconds winning by about uh, five minutes on the boys' side. And then on the female side, we had... And there was also I'm in Barcelona at the weekend, so we'd, um, or the weekend before last. Uh, Amy Corrigan took out the female. She ran a 3.28 to finish in 9.45.55. Good stuff. Huh. What? Jenna Seyfried, who we had on the show earlier, she was talking a lot about her, oh, um, that's right. her gym work. She got fourth place overall in a 10.05.48. Nice work. Good, Jenna. Impressive. Okay, John, uh, did you swim? No, you got a sore arm. Got a bucket arm. So there was. I haven't swum for bloody ages. I had an open water swim in Kiteria, but I haven't swum for probably two and a half weeks. Wow. It's depressing. It's not going to be pretty getting bad in the water. How, long's, how, how long do you think it's going to be before your arm's right? Uh, I reckon I'll be lucky if I'm doing much this week jeez oh, oh, well then let's say a thank you to our patrons yes our patrons Luke the Cover Parker Annette Lightning Lee and Aaron Tonton Nelson we also want to say a thank you to our patron partners we've got Profile Design if you want hydration wheels storage aero bars stems handlebars go to profile-design.com they've got all the best gear for your bike and all their other stuff and also Will Triathlon Store get your I am talk gear there. Go to I am talk.me, click on store, and it'll take you to their website. While there, you can check out some other gear they do. It's really amazing stuff. Show, uh, if you want to become a uh, patron, go to our website, click on become a patron, go through the process, support us and what we do. If you want some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com, also epiccamp.com. Well, that must be far away. Next Thursday. Oh shit! Yes. Arm comes right. <laughs> Good yeah. Luck with that. Uh, uh, then, if you want to check out my book, our passion about exercise. Also, some people have been listening to the album and we're just getting some cool feedback. Yeah. So on Spotify, look up the band I See Tomorrow to check out our album. First uh, track's definitely the best, I reckon. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. We're getting no, mixed no, reviews. It's interesting what people say. Yeah. No, I definitely thought the first track was the best. Yep, yep. Well, I can't remember what it was called. What's that one called? It's called a Governor. Governor, yeah, that was definitely the best. Um, then we have, uh, if you want to email us, Age Group of Week, cool websites, other stuff, I am talk podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so what's your goss? Other than well, your arm. I've got to say, Luke Parker, who was one of our patrons this week, thanks to him, uh, Luke the Cover Parker, he. That's a good nickname. He. Um, 
he lent me a piece of bike equipment for my son for carrying a uh, just thing that holds a, like a, a bag, bag on the front of your handlebars. Um, but yeah, I spent a couple of days, well, a week and a half in Kaiteri, which was uh, cold but lovely. Yeah. And then, Do you play games? Oh yeah. What do you yeah. play? What's the, what's the uh, 500 was uh, oh, the game, game of choice. My son Thomas had a friend up there and he got addicted to 500 oh, pretty quickly. It's a great game. Uh, 500 and Rummy Cub. What, what's that? Rummy Cub is you kind of have plastic pieces and you kind of got to get runs and sets and things like okay. that. Uh, so that was good. Uh, Monopoly Deal be third as well. Oh, Monopoly Deal is gold. Mm. It's mm. gold. And it's really interesting because if you play one-on-one, it's a completely different game than if you play in a group. Mm. Yeah, so. So it was good. And then I uh, spent the two days biking back with Thomas on, we did 130 k's on the mountain bike on the first so day. How long did that take you? Uh, that was like seven hours or yeah. something like that. It's a long time on a mountain bike. If you want to check it out, go to my Facebook page or Instagram and I'll yeah, sort of explain. Yeah, were you on roads or off-road? Um, a bit of, bit of both. Yeah, so quite a bit of sealed road, probably... Each day was probably about 50 50. Okay. Um, but most of the roads are really quiet country roads, like so quiet, like sometimes you didn't even see a car for an hour or sort of okay. thing. Uh, and it was epic, but I've never done bikepacking before. I'll maybe do a segment on it at some stage. But first thing is, your bike weighs an absolute time when it's loaded up. So we had to carry tent, <laughs> sleeping mats, um, obviously a change of clothes and food and things like that. Did so, you think about it, maybe motelling it? No, no, no. we wouldn't want to bike pack real, it. Mate. That's yeah, right. Keeping it real, mate. Yeah, keeping it real. So. Yeah, but, but we only had a few decent climbs, so it was was okay. But we made good progress. Tom did really, really well. 130k first day, 108k the second day. What's but, the father-son dynamic like? Uh, well, he kind of with the, he just basically sat on my wheel, which yeah. is totally fine. He, yeah. he pulled um, when we were on the main road, which was we had a couple of little stretches. Um, but he just he just he's just came for an adventure, so yeah. it wasn't a lot of chatter out there. Yeah. Uh, we just got the job done and enjoyed the views and spectac some spectacular views. It was pretty great. impressive. How old's Thomas? Uh, he is 15. That's pretty impressive. And this is the second day I said to Belinda, shit, they were picking us up on the way home. So uh, we're halfway home. It's like five hours to drive all the way back to Christchurch. Yep. I said, I think we'll be there by two o'clock. And I was watching my, my, my clock as we went through the day going, shit, we're not going to make it. And then we made up a bit of time and we came out with like two Ks to go. I said, Tom, We've got a certain number of minutes, and he got us in a minute forty to spare. Wow! So he was he, he was and he cranked it like the, first, the last two k. He was like sprinting. So, so it was just to get in the door at home to to get to make sure we got there before two o'clock, just nice. to prove a point yeah, that we, nice. we, we we were accurate. But it's good times. Um, it's hard work, and it was absolutely freezing staying overnight. There was a frost, <laughs> and I wasn't one night was enough for me. Uh, and one moment was we coming out of that. We had to pack Probably up all that sleep. Then do you? Oh no, I got it's hardly so cold. Anything. Yeah. We came out of that day, had to pack everything up, and we're straight up a hill, so you kind of warm up, um, and it was quite a long climb. But then coming down the other side, you still had that frozen feet feeling, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, oh, God. But then we had, we biked through a couple of fords, oh, no. so then you got completely soaked, and it's still freezing, and so, yeah, that wasn't particularly enjoyable. But other than that, it was good times. So how long did the second day take you? Uh, it was about six hours. I think it was five hours ride time. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a long time, and my ass was pretty raw at the end. Why? Why? Just a different seat. <laughs> different seat, and you got a little bit of weight on your back as well, yeah. and just not quite used to it. So it was good epic camp training. Enjoyable, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like any long stuff. Yeah. Some you know epic camp when we do that, it's great most of the time. But there's certainly some times when you're on a long straight road that comes becomes a bit mind numbing. But other than that, it was good times. It's good endurance training for your boy. Mm. What's the next big thing? Uh, he would just do the season of racing, nothing in secondary schools, champs sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, 
but then I had a really sore arm afterwards, so I can't do much at the moment. He's, he's armless. Yeah, Bevan's back to 100% fitness. Well, I wouldn't say fitness, but I'm definitely back to moving. Mm. My big thing, John, I haven't done a lot over the last couple of weeks, uh, painted the deck. Mm-hmm. Painted the deck. You guys <laughs> My know. big deck, you yeah. know. Oh, it's got, I've got a massive deck. Um, but I actually painted it while I was listening to the Ironman. So it was yeah. actually quite cool because I, I didn't really watch it. I kind of, I did see bits of it, but I was kind of, it was, it was actually quite cool because our deck takes basically a whole day to paint because you've got to do two coats and it's a pretty big deck. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I kept looking at my deck afterwards, quite proud of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there is that satisfaction of, you know, doing a good job, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just my dick just made me do a job, so that was good. Uh, I, you know, I, I was, we're watching the women's World Cup rugby, right? And we did some bits that worked out well for us. Oh, nice! Because what happened was, Joe, I've got Joe into the TAB. Joe mm-hmm. got like a fifty dollars free voucher, and I I got a fifty dollars one years ago. My mine's up to like two hundred dollars, so mm-hmm. the, I'm, we're not being big. Mm. But the Australians started strong. Like we were meant to dominate the Australians. And they started, like, we were playing, like, 107 to win the game. Mm. And then Australia's, like, up 17 points at mm. 30 minutes into the game. And we looked like custard. Like, nothing was going our way. Mm. So then they went, we went to, like, eighty. So then I put money on it. And oh, we came nice. back and dominated. So I think it won, like, yeah. $2. Imagine if you put money on Sam Laidlow getting second at Ironman. Can you bet on Ironman? You probably bet on the winner, possibly in New Zealand. Overseas, you'd be able to bet on anything. Yeah, that's true. You'd yeah. a bookie. Yeah. yeah Good times. Yeah, paying pay pretty high. Mm. Do you have a TV account? I do. How often do you bet? Really. But it's, I, I, yeah, it's not, not good for me. It's not, if I get into it, it's not going to be good. I've got a mate who's not allowed to have one. Yeah. Like his wife. And you know, you know sometimes you go, oh, my wife doesn't let me have one. And then just, my wife doesn't let me have one. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got that, he's got that one. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and it's like, I'll, I'll do, because the thing about having your account is they give you the free bet every so often. Do you get that? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you get free $10 bet maybe once every two months. We have big timers here, as you guys can tell. <laughs> but... My, I think I put fifty dollars in my account four years ago, and I'm two hundred bucks, mate. That's mm. you know, I'm, I'm, and you've had some entertainment, mate. It does make it more interesting because in my game, one of the second bits I did was we had to win by twenty-one to thirty, mm. and we only got to try for about five minutes to go. But then you didn't want Australia to score, so it does, mm. you know. So, but yeah, no, it's low betting. Anyway, team, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Ben. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.